Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. So welcome to the show, yeah. everybody. Big news on Mike Lindell getting his bank accounts shut down. Darren Beatty is here. Mm-hmm. You're the uh, you're the founder and editor of Revolver News. Yes. Do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? Yes, briefly. Founder, uh, founder and editor of Revolver.News. Before that, I was a speechwriter and policy aide for Donald Trump in the White House. And before that, I was a professor of political science at Duke University. Perfect. Right on. Yeah. We got Luke. Hey, guys. Um, if you like giving uh, unsolicited history lessons to random people like I do, maybe the <laughs> shirt I'm wearing would be perfect for you, as, of course, it says, FYI, the government is way deadlier than any virus. A very true, accurate historical fact, especially if you know what democide means. And if you like to support this historical fact to the wider general public, you can on thebestpoliticalshirts.com because you do. I'm here. Thanks for having me. This should be a great conversation. I also heard that... Uh, Compound interest is more dangerous than standing armies. Um, I believe that was Thomas Jefferson pointed that out. So we'll keep that in mind as we talk about banking and Mike Mm -hmm. Lindell maybe starting his own. Did you introduce yourself? I'm Ian Cross. That's who that is. Yeah. You know me. You love me. What's up, everybody? Hey, check it out at iancrossland.net if you want to see some of my stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Very cool. Yeah, thank you guys for setting me straight on the audio. I could not hear the difference, and I was afraid to restart while everybody else was talking. So I'm glad we had a chance to do that. Hopefully we have some good sound. I'm Sarah Petchlitz. I push the buttons in the corner. Go. Don't forget, go to TimCast.com, become a member, because that directly supports our work. We are going to be hiring another journalist very soon. And we're going to be, we're going to be covering more of like gun rights and gun, gun culture stuff too as we expand. We've got some ideas for new shows that are coming and it's all thanks to you as members. We got a new episode of the green room up with the CEO of Rumble and a massive library of exclusive members only podcasts. We've got Mike Rowe in this past week. We've got Marjorie so Taylor Green. You don't want to miss it. So sign up at timcast.com. Let's talk about this big news we've got from the post millennial <laughs> Minnesota bank and trust moves to cancel. My Pillow Founders bank accounts. The accounts in question are Lindell Management, Lindell Outreach, Lindell Recovery Network, Lindell TV, Lindell Foundation, Lindell Publishing, Frank Speech, Michael Lindell Personal, and My Store. It's kind of crazy. They've gone after everything associated with this guy. The announcement came on, on Friday's episode of War Room, where host and former Trump advisor Steve Bannon played a recording of a telephone call between a top executive at Minnesota Bank and Trust and Lindell's controller. The executive stated during the call that the bank, a subsidiary of Heartland Financial, had concerns about being connected with someone who could be in the news. Quote, not that the FBI is even sniffing and looking, but what if somebody came and said, do you know what? We are going to subpoena all of his account records and this and that. And then all of a sudden we make the news. So it's more of a reputation risk. I'll just tell you this. Minnesota Bank and Trust. I would never go anywhere near. Mm. If they, if you're running a business and your bank gets shut down because they're scared of bad PR, do not bank with these people. Let and it's not just that. You think it's just because Mike Lindell's a big famous guy? CNN's gone after regular people over memes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if a bank is saying we don't want to be involved with someone in the news, well, we know these media companies are willing to go after regular people and little old ladies. 
I would not feel safe banking with that company. I, I don't believe the reputation excuse at all, especially when we, when you look at the history of big banks, especially institutions like HSBC and their money laundering for drug cartels knowingly doing so. When you look at what they did with Jeffrey Epstein, especially Deutsche Bank, that literally had to settle a fine of over $150 million because they ignored all of his red flags. Jeffrey Epstein was able to bank with J.P. Morgan and Chase, Citibank, Deutsche Bank. He never got debanked. Who gets debanked? Uh, the MyPillow guy and then people like Julian Assange that was debanked in 2010 politically when he was shut down by a Swiss bank. He was shut down by PayPal. He, of course, then went into Bitcoin and then had a 50,000% increase of his money and is estimated to have around $37 million because of that switch from Bitcoin. So again, this political debanking is nothing new. The big banks are, of course, tied into big government, the intelligence agencies. And I think this is another lesson showing that, yes, they all work together in many extensive ways, which is absolutely troubling because it's becoming more and more political by the day. I think this is a big red flag for centralized banking in general. You see the amount of control that I think is desired from this. Like if you want to, if you want to buck the system and, and all the money is controlled by one person, then, then you don't get to have any money anymore and live in this world with no money. That's not how this world works. I don't, I don't like privatized banking at all at this point. Public banking. Yeah, I would have a couple of things to say about that. One is the astonishing and really uh, unfortunate thing is there is a certain case to the reputational argument, which is to say that in the present regime, you're worse off reputationally being Michael Lindell and associating yourself with Donald Trump in various ways than being somebody like Jeffrey Epstein. Mm. Um, they're just as a result of the peculiar hierarchy of taboos that exists in the regime. And secondly, I think it really speaks to this point that anyone in Liddell's position who you know, speaks out against the regime in various ways, debanking is what the United States government does to adversary governments. It is the domestic recapitulation of economic sanctions. And so it needs to be understood, I think, broadly in this context of the government and its associated institutions wielding its power domestically against American citizens for political purposes. Do you think that the government told this bank to do this or was this just a private bank making well, a decision? Well, I mean, I think that this this is all part of the same ecology. So the fact that banking institutions, that major platforms of the communication infrastructure aren't technically part of the government, they are part of the regime. And um, that's what's more relevant. And it's simply, if you reach the level of Michael Lindell, if you are a dissident on that level, you jeopardize your capacity to exist in any normal way. And having financial freedom and being able to bank is part of that. And so basically, Lindell's position is similar to the position of, say, the government of Iran, for instance. That, I mean, that's how I would interpret it. And functionally, it's the same. It's just in, in Lindell's case, he's an American citizen. And in Iran's case, it is a foreign adversary or at least allegedly an adversary. Yeah, the, the, the public banking thing, I don't know if I'm a fan of. Yeah, after I said it, I was like, mm, not only public. I do but like the options. Non, uh, like non-profit banking um Credit unions. Non-profit banking. That's Imagine a bank that wasn't trying to profit. Well, that's basically a credit union. Yeah. Thank you. So they, so for me, my credit union, it's like no ATM fees. I get international free ATM transactions, which is crazy because when I was traveling around for Vice and stuff, that was amazing. It was, it was amazing. And, uh, the, the, the credit union industry was able to, they're able to absorb a lot of losses because they're not in it for a profit. 
So during all the Occupy stuff, they gained billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. People were switching over. I think that's one big move you can make, but there's still the problem of a credit union still being a private mm-hmm. institution who can ban you. And so I think what we're seeing from here is the is the power of cultural enforcement over, uh, uh, say, legal enforcement. You don't need to make something illegal. You don't need to violate someone's rights to still violate their rights. You know what I mean? Like right. Joe Biden doesn't need to go to this bank and say, get rid of this guy. He's in my way. They need only put enough pressure. They need a, a reporter will call them up and say, why are you doing this? I, I broke this story. It was a few years ago. I think it was actually four years ago. The uh, uh, It was Enrique Tarrio. Mm-hmm. He got banned from Chase because a quote unquote journalist sent an email basically threatening the bank saying, why are you providing financial services to white supremacists? Mm-hmm. And the bank internally just said, terminate. We don't want to have anything to do with this. I understand why mm-hmm. the bank freaks out. Journalists do this stuff as an attack and they know they're doing it the way they ask the question. Right. For what business, for what public good do we need to understand why a bank provides banking services to a person of a certain political persuasion? We don't. Everybody has a bank because people have banks. So a journalist who contacts a bank and asks those questions knows what they're doing and why they're doing it. That's interesting the way you said everybody has a bank and uses a bank because that's kind of what we believe, what we're brainwashed to believe growing up. But like you're saying, Darren, the government can just sanction anybody at any time, anything. They, and that's an, a, a common tool that it uses in the war against its adversaries is, is shut off the bank. It's their favorite tool. If you look at right. the way that the Americans have been kind of pushing their will on the world, economic sanctions, economic warfare are their main ways of, of achieving a right. lot of their objectives. They go Absolutely. to a country and they say, hey, we're going to take away your ability to even have money in the world if you don't implement this policy. And this is what the United States does. This is nothing even compared to the World Bank and the IMF. And if you look at what, uh, you know, the, the, the stories of the economic hitman, if you look at what really happens behind the scenes with a lot of these banks and powerful people all around the world, it is absolutely corrupt and sinister to see the corruption that really is happening that we don't even know about. Right. It's the analog. So what happens to Lindell and their various other cases, he's not, uh, he's not the first, as you point out. Um, it is the analog to, you know, using the leverage of the SWIFT system to cut out, you know, uh, uh, foreign adversaries or to use that leverage to pressure them to do something we want. It's, it's an extension of the same basic principle and done for, for the same reasons. Do you have uh, any information on the SWIFT banking system? Maybe an, a brief overview. I know a little bit about it. I believe that it kind of oversees Visa and MasterCard. Right. It's, I mean, it's just, you know, the United States government essentially controls it. It's essential for any kind of transactions that go through, particularly in, in dollars. And um, it's a major part of being able to participate in the global economy. And uh, particularly in the past five years or so, um, the United States has really leaned on economic sanctions because there's no appetite for war since Iraq. There's just no public appetite for war. And so it's sort of the middle ground that they can use to really be severe but not send troops into a place. And so they've leaned on these sanctions. And the cost is it really puts pressure on the U.S. dollar. There's only so much pressure the dollar can take having to sustain the United States foreign policy objectives before – uh, before it, uh, the pillars collapse, but they've been leaning on it very hard. And, um, the result is Russia and China have been talking and, you know, cooperating and thinking about developing alternatives to the SWIFT system and so forth. So ultimately it might be counterproductive, but we love to sanction people economically. 
uh, overseas, and that's what you see more domestically because the domestic political adversaries like Michael and Dell are considered enemies in just the same way that the U.S. government considers Iran an enemy. I remember, uh, man, 12, 13, maybe even long, maybe it was even like 14 years ago. You know, Alex Jones is talking about one uh, one world currency, global currency. They, right. they, they, all these people on the internet were talking about the Amero, that there was going to be a Canadian, Mexican, and American currency. And that always confused me because I was like, can't you just use your credit card any country you go to? And so within only a few years, I'm traveling around the world working for Vice, and I've got a, I got a Visa card. And I go to all these countries and swipe it with no questions asked. I walk in, I'd say, you know, let me get the, the, the schnitzel when I'm in, you know, Israel, whatever, and then swipe. No questions asked, no problem, just right there. And then I, t- I started telling my friends when I'd hear people say like, yeah, one of these days they're going to have a one world currency. And I was like, bro, it's called Visa and MasterCard. Yeah. <laughs> you right. can go to any one of these countries, just use it. Right. It's here. It's happened already. Wait till you learn about Bitcoin, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been telling people Bitcoin is the perfect global store of value. Mm. Decentralized, instant, trackable. And when they've got AI that is tracking all of the transactions, they know who you are, where you are, what you're doing, and you don't even realize. People are like, I can use Bitcoin to buy things you're not supposed to buy. It's like, dude, they know who you are. Mm-hmm. That's, That's if public. you let people know your address. So if no one knows your address, you not could true. still... Well, there's different ways of finding out. Amazon and Jeff Bezos are working on a lot of different technological advancements that would kind of break Bitcoin and and, and make sure they could track, trace, and database everything. So there it's, are exceptions to the rule. It, I, I would say at this point, Bitcoin itself... Is, is is broken in that capacity. It's not private. A lot of, you right. know, ANCAP's libertarians thought it really was, but they <clears throat> don't need to know your address to see the transactions made and then have an AI just calculate it was you based on the things you post on social media, based on the phone you use, your MAC address. They can easily track this stuff. They're working on that technology. I haven't heard of them mm-hmm. developing well, it or not, using it yet, let's, to be let, honest Let's be you. real. Are they going to publicly disclose they can do it already? No, but it's not that hard to calculate. If Facebook is already, if you're getting, so I'll tell you something funny. I ordered these little cards. They're really, really cool. It's a, it's a, it's a black card. You, it's, it's got a joint in the middle and on the sides and you flip it and it forms this like kite shape. And then you can pull the sides up and it's got two little holes where you can put your phone and use it as a tripod. It's so awesome. It like flips around. You can manipulate it and you can take your phone, set it up so you can, you know, record yourself with your phone or record people with your phone. The funny thing is, I posted a video to my Instagram of me playing my guitar and I was trying to set my phone up and I'm like, it's so annoying. Like, how do you get your phone to stand up? And then within an hour, I didn't, I never said anything to anybody about this. I didn't go, gee, I sure need a tripod or some kind of stand for my phone. I get an advertisement on Instagram being like, buy this to set your phone up. And I was like, Mm -hmm. that's really weird. It's, and it's not because they're reading your mind or listening to you. I never said any words about this. It's because there are algorithms that just know based on your behaviors. There's the famous story of the the guy this this father he gets maternity advertisements oh, yeah. in the mail for his daughter and he's like why are they sending my daughter maternity stuff so he complains and they were like oh sir it's because our computer identified your daughter's pregnant that's it so, and he was like how the things she was looking at and it wasn't this is the crazy thing she wasn't looking up diapers she wasn't looking up anything she didn't know she was pregnant mm-hmm. the algorithm knew that when women start looking up certain items certain foods before they even realize that the computers so know they're weird. pregnant and sent the information to her dad because she still lived with them, 
Mm-hmm. That's so I'm, I'm telling you, man, with with Bitcoin, if you think they don't know who you are, and what you're doing, you are wrong. No, it's all public. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But, but there's Zcash. There's Monero. There are and those are a lot better. They get banned. They have been in the past being getting banned from um, trading networks, unfortunately. Right. Yep. Monero in particular. And that's the thing is once you reach a level like Monero and it, you're actually a threat, it becomes a national security issue. And mm-hmm. so they try in the periphery. They'll ban it from all the major exchanges. It's particularly hard to get if you're in the U.S. Um and then if it persists, then it becomes, you know, a, a, a mechanism for terrorism financing and they'll go after it more aggressively. Or they'll so, just say it's right. a mechanism. So that's the, it. that's the ultimate bottleneck is once something becomes a national security threat, um, all bets are off. Well, let's, let's talk yeah. about national security. Mm-hmm. So yep. you guys, so the big story that came out the other day was about the Oath Keepers <clears throat> being charged with seditious conspiracy. Yes. Something that's really interesting in this whole uh, January 6th debacle is a man mm-hmm. named Ray Epps. And, yes. and you guys at, Re- at Revolver covered this to a great extent. Yes. We saw uh, Tucker Carlson talked about it. And you yep. have an article up. For those that aren't familiar, Ray Epps is this guy who's seen in multiple videos telling people to storm the Capitol. Yes. And the funny thing is, it is actually the right wondering why he's not being arrested and charged. Right. So we have this article from Revolver.News. Meet Ray Epps Part 2. Damning new details emerge exposing massive web of unindicted operators at the heart of January 6th. And in this one video, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and lower the volume a little bit. I want to play this just real quick for you guys. This is on January 5th, by the way. Let me see. I think the audio. An audio, yeah. Yeah, the audio is not coming through coming properly. Through the TV. That's, that's my, my mistake. It was coming through just very, very poorly. This now it should be better. This is Ray Epps right here. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. What? <laughs> you hear that person go, what? There's probably multiple people. They start yelling fed at this guy. Yeah. Right. So there's questions around this guy, notably that he was actually outside the Capitol as well, right? Yes. And he was saying something to somebody. He was yes. seen in videos saying this. And for some reason, it's not just that they haven't indicted him. It's that Adam Kinzinger on the January 6th committee actually publicly defended him. Right. Who is this guy? What is going on with this? That's a great question. And the the video itself really tells the story. And so for any of your listeners, your audience, and I know you have an audience of, you know, the full political spectrum. I encourage everyone, if you're curious about what really happened on January 6th, take my challenge. Go to revolver.news, read this piece in particular, watch the video, and then look at me with straight face, look at me in the eye and tell me that there's not something fishy here. I don't think anybody can, in good faith, um, meet that challenge. And so who is Ray Epps? Well, Ray Epps is the person we heard. Ray Epps is in the mountains of documentary video evidence of January 6th. He's the only person repeatedly calling and explicitly calling for this mission to go into the Capitol. The video that we saw was on January 5th, and he's going to all different types of groups with different agendas saying, we need to go into the Capitol. The Capitol's our enemy. 
the capital is what we need to do. And then he's not just some drunk guy who's just spouting off and you, you never hear from him again. He's there on January 6th. He's a veritable Where's Waldo figure. Huh. He's there telling the crowds, after the Trump rally, go to the Capitol where our problems are. And then at 12.53 p.m., by the way, this is as Trump was still speaking. So this guy, Ray Epps, who's such a big Trump fan, he's wearing his Trump hat. He flies all the way to D.C. from Arizona and skips the actual Trump rally in order to hang out at the Capitol and to orchestrate, evidently, the first and decisive breach of the Capitol barricades, which is interesting given what he was saying on January 5th. And so there he is on the right by the Capitol barricades, 12.53 p.m. He whispers into someone's ear. That person is called Ryan Samsell. Two seconds later, Samsell engages in the first breach. Pretty amazing. And in fact, there's a other video of Ray Epps telling another individual who also incidentally is, is not charged with anything. He said, when we go in, leave this here. When we go in, leave this here. And the this in this case was a bear spray. So he's already anticipating people going into the Capitol and fulfilling this mission that he was calling for the night before. And so the amazing thing about Epps is in the midst of all of these random grandmas and random people who are being slammed with the most draconian charges imaginable for basically nothing, many people wallowing away in solitary confinement indefinitely, this guy Ray Epps is untouched. He's uncharged. He's unsearched. Nobody wants him. And until Ray Epps essentially became a household name on the basis of our reporting, um, you know, there was zero interest. Now, now we're told, okay, shut up about Epps. Epps spoke to the January 6th committee. He says he's not a Fed. So go, go back to what you were doing. <laughs> Maybe he's not a Fed. I don't know or care. I can tell you this. What, whatever it is, the story of Ray Epps, whoever he is, Maybe he's not a criminal informant. Maybe he's not a Fed. Maybe he's just some guy. He has completely discredited the entire January 6th committee narrative for one reason. Adam Kinzinger, who's on the committee, who's retiring from Congress, by the way, said in on Twitter on January 11th that Epps was on video the day before saying, quote, we're going into the Capitol. Yet he goes on to say that he, he never went in the Capitol and therefore, you know, he cooperated and his name was taken off the most wanted list. Okay. Their claim is that Donald Trump incited an insurrection, but Donald Trump never even went that far. Right. They're claiming that Donald Trump said, we got to be strong and we're going to fight. That was enough. Right. If it's not in any way an infraction or criminal activity to tell people overtly on more than one occasion to enter the Capitol, then right. what is their claim against Donald Trump in this regard? Right. And the negligence with respect to Epps does not exist in a vacuum. The most compelling thing about this that really points to some explanation like he was a Fed is the selective non-prosecution to compare the neglect of Epps in relation to the severe charges against much more minor people for far less egregious offenses in relation to January 6th. So it doesn't make any, for instance, Ray Epps says to one individual who said, when we go in, leave this here. Well, there was another individual called George Tanios, who was originally charged with basically con conspiracy to, uh, uh, murder, uh, uh, an officer on the basis of when his friend was asking, let me have the bear spray. He said, no, no, not yet. On the basis of saying, no, no, not yet, 
They charged him with serious charges, and yet Epps is saying, when we go in, leave this here, and nothing. Clearly this, showing yeah. he, he, had, he had planned right. the, the entrance. Right, right. The following through with the fact that the last night he was saying, go into the Capitol, and, leading, and he's whispering in the guy's ear two seconds before the initial breach. And they don't want him. And another interesting detail in, that's in the revolver piece is that initially the FBI put him on their most wanted list. He was originally so important to them that he was one of the 20 people considered, you know, egregious enough that, okay, we're going to put him on the most wanted list. They begged the public. They said, help us identify this man, Ray Epps. The internet being the amazing sort of crowdsource investigative vehicle that it is identified this guy within days. And the government had no interest. And the only time they took action on Epps was the day after Revolver News published an extensive report on his fellow Oath Keeper, Stuart Rhodes, the day after. And Epps is an Oath Keeper. He was a president. He was a president of the Arizona chapter of the Oath Keepers. And so the day after Revolver. Oh, hold on. Sorry, sorry. Uh, when did he leave the Oath Keepers? That I don't know. Because I, I, I put, a, yep. put a pin in your thought. Don't lose your track. I just want to say. The Oath Keepers, 11 of them, are being charged with seditious conspiracy. Yes. Here you have a guy who was in the Oath Keepers overtly saying to enter the Capitol, mm-hmm. and he's not he, – it's not just that they're not charging him. I don't know why any of that's going on. It's that Adam Kinzinger is actively downplaying what he did, and I, 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 and I don't know why. Right. I mean there's no – if there's an innocent explanation for the Epps issue in particular because he was originally on – the FBI's most wanted list, and they quietly took him off and didn't want to hear from him again. And in fact, the only additional remark they had on him before this blew up on a national scale was Phoenix FBI agents denying knowledge that he even exists, which is remarkable because he's from Arizona. Is it confirmed that his name is Ray Epps? Yes. So maybe another organization hired this guy to go ruffle some feathers. The FBI didn't know, so they put him on the most wanted. When they pulled him in, they, the other agency came and was like, hey, this is our guy. That is that. That is a very plausible scenario. It, it's entirely possible that um, he's giving them everything they wanted. You know, at first they were like, who is this guy? Find him. And then he gave them something substantive, right? I wonder what he would have given them because, you know, he was the most egregious player there. So – who would he be giving up? That's, you know, that's the question I would have. If he's, you know, from the video maybe, evidence. Maybe, well, well, maybe he had Oathkeeper communications and they said he can provide encrypted communications and access to their whole network because he was a president, but he wants immunity. And they said, deal. The problem is, look, the, the, you know, Adam Kinzinger comes out and he's like, this is a conspiracy theory. Not only is he not an agent, he's not even an informant and he never went in the building. And I say to right. all that, Adam, you are correct. You are also correct when you say that by yelling at people to go into the building, he did not incite an erection. Uh, an erection. Who said erection? It's a family friendly show no, no, here, wait, wait, Tim. Hold on. Who was the politician who did that? That was uh, Schumer, I think. Was it Schumer? <laughs> I got. I pulled the Schumer. Pulled the Schumer. I pulled the, uh, incite and in and insurrection. <laughs> but but when we do it on the show, we we laugh and it's funny. Um, uh, not only so so the point is, it's not a crime. So now they can they can drop all the Trump stuff and they can now Marjorie Taylor Greene, Madison Cawthorn, mm. all of these these Republicans who they're accusing of incitement. Nope. Sorry. You by 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 Kinzinger's own words. That's all done with. 
And you make fun of me yeah. for messing up words. <laughs> anyway, this is an interesting situation because it, it does you know, suggest that there was some kind of federal involvement here. I mean, obviously, we're going to find out through the, the <laughs> Oath Keepers uh, court case that's going to be happening very soon if there was you know, someone that released information, if someone g- gave them something. But again, there's also something that's odd about the timing of the U.S. government going after the Oath Keepers all the way up until now, almost a year after this entire incident, it it, it raises a lot of question. Uh, it raises a lot of important questions, especially surrounding the pipe bomber that also placed mm. pipe bombs all throughout Washington, D.C. the day before. There's a lot of right. different theories about this to why this happened, but that story came and went extremely quickly. No one's talking about it. That guy or girl was never found, yep. and they were responsible for setting up bombs all over Washington, D.C. Why isn't this... A, a bigger story, especially in a surveillance state in Washington, D.C. that has uh, security cameras almost right. everywhere? How, do, how does that make sense? And the remarkable thing is, is that it seems like the FBI does these sort of fake gestures of, you know, calling on the public to help them find person in this sort of full-on surveillance state, as you point out. It's the same thing as like when they initially called on the public to identify Epps. It's clearly disingenuous because... The internet identified him and they did nothing with it. And similarly, in this Pipon case, which is very interesting for a number of reasons, in the Pipon case, they provide to the public just very limited, grainy, ridiculous video. And we know for a fact they have more video because there's the video itself is not continuous. We know that there are more cameras in the area. We know that there's better resolution stuff. And so it's just not a genuine effort yeah. on the part of the feds to identify this person. So I kind of wanted to ask you, and, and I don't know if it's fair to go off into the realm of speculation, but there's some people assuming that the pipe bombs were placed there in case the you know the people wouldn't storm the Capitol and that was used as another pretext. Uh, that some people are arguing and speculating that. Of course, we don't have any evidence. But but Darren, how would you speculate everything unfolded in Washington D.C. on that day? How do you think uh, things went down from your perspective? Well, that's an interesting question. In relation to the pipe bomb in particular, there are a number of possible explanations. One is simply that the bombs were there as Certainly, it's it makes for a scary headline that, you know, feeds into the uh, narrative that the media wants. But also, it was a had a diversionary function, too, is the Capitol already had limited security personnel. And when they called in the, you know, the pipe bombs, the law enforcement actually addressed the pipe bombs basically contemporaneously, coincidentally enough, with that first breach that Ray Epps was involved in. So that's well, kind was- of... Slightly, I think it was about an hour before the first breach at the barricade, the security went door to door to uh, to members of Congress and told them leave the building. Right, which is really interesting. Right, I mean it just yeah. Uh, uh, we, I mean just think about it. Something just so happened that before the breach, members of Congress were able to be evacuated from right. the building. Right, that's no, very. Yeah, it's, it's, it's convenient. It's act. I mean, yeah. it's kind of crazy to think yeah. that if it wasn't for this person who put this pipe bombs out, AOC might have actually been caught in 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 people storming the the Capitol. Of course, she lied and fabricated that whole story. Right, and I'll give you the simple context. AOC told this story mm-hmm. on Instagram where she said. There was a banging on her door of her office and she went and hid in the bathroom and then thought to herself, they've got in and that she might mm-hmm. die. But 
that story about someone banging on our door was the police sweep for the pipe bomb, mm-hmm. which happened an hour before the first breach. Right, right. So you, act, uh, I'm not, not not the first breach. It happened around the, uh, uh, ten minutes before they they crossed the barricades, mm-hmm. but no one had to enter any buildings. Right. No one had had breached the the, the, right. the the stairs or anything. The crazy thing is, you had people on the left advancing her claims, and even people on the right. I got into an argument with a guy from the Huffington Post when he said I was wrong about my timeline. So mm-hmm. I went through the timeline and I responded to him and I said, actually, AOC's story took place an hour before the doors were breached. Right. Why would she think someone would go to her office an hour before anyone had gotten anywhere near the front doors? And this Huffington Post guy went, oh, yeah, you're right. Good point. I'm like, yes, AOC fabricated the claim, the whole story. Some cop did knock on her door and he said, ma'am. We're evacuating the building. Yeah. Mm. I, I still find it crazy that, that bombs were placed all throughout Washington, D.C., and our national security state that has NSA agents literally caught doing unspeakable things to themselves in a pleasurable way to people's private photos that they were not supposed to have. The NSA that knows almost every little thing about you, the, the phone that knows when you crap, couldn't find the person that, that put bombs all throughout Washington, D.C. the day before? Well, are are yeah. you kidding it's me? E- it's even more peculiar when you think of all the other reasons that they would have had to have ad- enhanced security on that day. Right. It would be a scandal unto itself if the Capitol building had normal security. But in fact, the Capitol building had uniquely poor security on a day that was sure to be politically charged and required uh, additional security. And this is one of many things... Here's a pipe bomb, but on January 5th, there was this so-called Hippies for Trump van. And this Hippies for Trump van was stopped right outside of the Department of Justice with explosives and firearms in it. And in fact, one of the people who was in the van turned out to be one of the curious characters caught on video methodically cutting down fencing and barriers as Trump was still speaking. Mm-hmm. And so the feds knew who he was. There was this terror scare right at the Department of Justice on January 5th, and even that didn't justify or get people to say, okay, we actually need enhanced security on the 6th. So that's another very bizarre uh, uh, discrepancy there. It's not just that. It's that Trump was actually preparing a massive rally. Right. Hundreds of thousands of people. That alone alone, should warrant massive security. Precisely. precisely. There's a video where the guy at the Capitol goes to the cops and says, what are you doing? Get people down here. Stop this. Yep. I get the feeling that the the maybe it's the news or whatever isn't going to really tell us about the real threats because they don't want us to panic. So like the pipe bombs, they played that down if it was a real threat. But it's the stuff that they want you to focus on that tends to seem like it's not really a threat. Like they, they want to get you wired up and confused and angry about something that can just be there. But like while they're secretly investigating the real threats. Yep. By the way, a cherry on top to this, originally the guy on video, the FBI guy, DC field office guy, who did the public service announce saying, we, announcement to the public saying, we need your help identifying the pipe bomber. This was a guy called Stephen D'Antuono, and his previous job was running the Detroit FBI field office, where he basically ran the infiltration operation that's mm-hmm. now known as the Michigan 
kidnapping plot. Wow. <laughs> it was the same wow. guy. Um, so the plot yeah. where there were more federal undercover exactly. agents than <laughs> well, actual literally, people no, that no, were doing something. Twelve yeah. out of the twenty-six people were yeah. either FBI agents or yeah. FBI informants, and this happened just months before January six. The same plot. It's they called a kidnapping plot, but it was also a plot to storm the Michigan State Capitol. It involved one of the three major militia groups imputed to one six, the three percenters. It was Fed infiltrated. Uh, with a percentage that you wouldn't believe. And the guy who ran it was subsequently promoted to head the D.C. field office where he went on to oversee 1-6 investigations. Wow. So and the guy that they indicted... Stephen D'Antuono. Yeah. The, but, but, the, the guy that they indicted also had very serious mental health problems oh, yeah. uh, that wasn't a fed yeah. in that... Indi- Pure, but, but, yeah. but, come on, come on, come on, guys. Let's just be real. The, the government wouldn't lie to us. Our best interests... There is no circumstance in which a government would ever stage something like this against their own people. Never. That is absurd. No. But uh, I did hear that Russia is going to stage a false flag against their own people. That's different. They're Russia. They're bad guys. And Kitzinger, uh, by the way, is all in on this. Yeah. Kitzinger buys it you know, completely. I was yeah. joking, by the way, for those that <laughs> may have not bought into that. Some people will be like, is he serious right now? My point <laughs> is, you know, we can sit here and have an adult conversation about things we want answers to. And you'll get smears in the media that it's conspiracy theorizing to simply question whether or not the government could be lying to you. Well, I mean, the Gulf of Tonkin is an example of the government lying to you. Uh, they, yeah, they lied to you. They told you that they, uh, that their ship was fired on by Vietnamese war vessels or something, and it right. wasn't. But right, right, up. right now, one of the big stories, too, and I don't want to get too much into why. it, is that Russia, mm-hmm. U.S. intel, Russia is preparing to false flag attack their own troops to justify an invasion of Ukraine. And my, my, I tweeted this saying, no, false flags are conspiracy theories. No government would attack their own people to justify an invasion you, of any other country. You can't because false flags don't exist, so you can't do it. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere wear with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus even though historically most wars are started Never. through through false false flags. Oh, that's a good point. False you know, flags but, do exist. But now no, we're living in a magic fairy tale land where where false flags don't no, exist. No, it's just the U.S. government that doesn't do false of flags. Of course. Well, we're, yeah. you know, that's the only, because we're benevolent. The, the only people who do false flags are Iran, Russia, and China. <laughs> and, yeah. and maybe Venezuela sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because this conversation is a conversation 10 years ago I'd be having with a bunch of leftists like anarcho, you know, Antifa types. Right. Where they'd be like the American Empire and the economic hitman and South America. And now they're the ones who are basically like, oh, the government can't be wrong. Well, this thing, it's, it's new for people on the right. And that's one of the hurdles psychologically is that said is the political psychology of the right is largely that they want to venerate 
just and well-functioning institutions of authority. I think people on the left like to challenge corrupt institutions of authority. And we're in a position now where all the institutions of authority are corrupt and actuated against the right. And people on the right need to adjust their political psychology in order to digest this new reality. The right is now the left and the left is now the right. Mm. In the in the classical French Revolution sense, I was talking about this yesterday, that um, we were talking to um, uh, Matt Kibbe. You know, in the French Revolution, the right was the aristocracy, maintained the status quo, and the left in the room were the revolutionaries, and that was, was the big argument, mm-hmm. and that's where they come from. Now, left and right, I don't even know what they mean. It means economics, yeah, it, it means cultural issues. Yeah. But if we're talking in the classical sense, the right has become the counterculture, which right. was the left in the, in, the, in the classical sense. And now you have the quote-unquote left supporting massive pharmaceuticals, supporting massive multinational corporations and their collusion right. with big government. And I'm like, wasn't that always the right? You know, right. like the, 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 the big industrialists and the revolving door <laughs> policies where they went and worked for government. Now, all of a sudden, the right is critical of this and the left supports it. Right. Well, there's a reason that, you know, one of the journalists who've been most supportive of our of our work at Revolver.News is – Glenn Greenwald. Yeah. You know, another one is Aaron, Aaron Mate. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Uh, so, you know, it's because they've been covering this for years and years, and this is nothing new. Like Merrick Garland, the current attorney general, this isn't his first rodeo. He, he cut his teeth decades ago under Bill Clinton, where he was at the DOJ under the domestic extremism portfolio, right at that period in the 90s when the U.S. government was kicking up its infiltration operation into various militia groups. And Merrick Garland played a big role, I think, in massaging the public's knowledge about what happened in Oklahoma City. So, um, yeah, this is nothing new. A lot of the same people, they're getting the band back together and... Um, and, you know, some things just never change, I suppose, except in this case, the target is, has, has changed to some degree. But, um, if, if your listeners would be interested, I, I would like to address the seditious conspiracy charges. I think a lot of people well, might want to know about that, but. No, definitely, definitely. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. I'm curious if, uh, if you guys have a way for people to contact you if they have tips or information or anything they wanted to share yes um uh, just email editor at revolver.news or uh tips at revolver.news uh we get a lot so it's it's hard to look at everything but we i really try to look at everything because every now and then you get a really good tip mm-hmm. you know 90 maybe 9 90 percent of it is weird stuff like i got one that uh the scaffold commander who is one of the people featured in our story of guys saying you know fill up the capital fill up the capital he's ident- unidentified uncharged and everything they're saying this guy is is uh bill Ayers. <laughs> you know? like, oh yeah <laughs> we got a lot of weird stuff okay. like that but <laughs> but every every now and then we get a really good tip so it's, it's really it's important hard too man and people you know people who are listening need to understand we i think we have like 15,000 emails yeah so that you know that that it's just it not, we we can't get that number to go down right as much as we go through as much as possible these aren't like you know we we have we have emails for support on the website which mm-hmm. we get to every single one of them right and uh somehow sometimes you know look for, for those that are uh, listening gmail or or your email service might it might get booted into spam or something mm-hmm. that we try to go through as well but uh, we get through all those. But then we go to, like, tips and information and stuff. Right. We get not only a lot of crazy stuff, we get a lot of stuff. And it's really, really mm-hmm. hard to, to sift through. And that, that could be bad because buried in there is that exactly. golden nugget. Exactly. It's hard, yeah. Well, we, we, you know, I brought this up because someone chatted that they, they had uh, um, met a Fed. 
down there. Interesting. Now, who knows if it's true or not? Yep. I'm not trying to disparage yep. this individual who commented yep. this, but maybe they. You never know. You right. never know. And so that's that's part of the a real journalist yeah. is a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> it's true. Um, they they when when they when they come out in the media and say you're a conspiracy theorist, then they're just trying to discredit the fact you're doing real work because a journalist should see something and then say. I have questions about the government's involvement in this and what their real intentions are. And then when the government says, we have done nothing and you're a conspiracy theorist, that is to imply that because you don't blindly trust whatever this person says, I don't care if they're with a government or a corporation, you must be wrong or crazy. There's there's two types of conspiracy theorists. There's the ones that can take a conspiracy theory and put it in their mind and understand it and look at it without believing it. And then there's the conspiracy theorist that sees it and believes it without being able to critically understand and, and think about it. And you could say that they're both conspiracy, but we, we're going to have to define a difference between those types of people and that way of behavior. Because I love taking a conspiracy theory and breaking it down and thinking about it without believing that it's real. And just, what if, what if, it's awesome. And that, that can lead us to great places. If you believe things when you hear them, you're, you're in a very dangerous place. Well, let, let's talk about the seditious conspiracy. Yes. This is, this is the big play the Democrats needed. They needed to be <clears throat> able to say that there were sedition charges for their narrative. You've got the Daily Show now coming out saying the no sedition, you know, uh, talking point is now officially dead. Rest in peace in, right. in, in memoriam. We have this story from CNN. Oath Keepers leader appears in court on seditious conspiracy charges, but it wasn't just him. It was 10 others. Right. So you want to break down for us what this is about? Yes, I'd like to say some things about this. First of all, the con- seditious conspiracy charge is a rare one, and it's one that's even more r- rarely used successfully. If you look at the history of it, um, there's only a handful of cases. The first couple cases are weird, like uh, cases involving Puerto Rico for whatever reason. Then you have... Uh, one successful case against uh, an Islamic terrorist, and you have a couple others that were not successful. So this is a very rare charge. It's an extremely serious charge. Um, everyone else, I believe, on the uh, who is charged with seditious conspiracy, they already had lesser charges. The only person who has just added completely was the founder and leader of the Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes. And I think there's probably a lot of public interest in um, a reaction to this, particularly because my news outlet, Revolver.News, has run several f- detailed investigative reports on Rhodes, calling into question the seeming protection that he enjoyed from the federal government for not being arrested and so forth. And so I think a lot of people are confused, and some people are probably erroneously concluding Oh, he was hit with this charge, therefore, um, he couldn't have been a Fed. And, uh, I think that there are a number of things to say for that. First of all, I don't think any of the questions raised in the revolver's reporting are dispelled by this. I think they're only intensified. And here's some interesting things about his case. So, seditious conspiracy is a very serious charge. So we're, we're supposed to believe that the government's been building this serious charge for an entire year, and yet they didn't bother to search him for an entire year. Well, asterisk to that. They searched a single cell phone on his person four months after January 6th. So here's the founder and leader of the most prosecuted boogeyman militia group who was all over the media, and he's so dangerous 
that they wait four months, give him four months to destroy all evidence and take a single cell phone from his person and then wait an additional eight months of zero search before they hit him with this serious charge. If they're taking him seriously enough to hit him with seditious conspiracy, how do you explain the fact that they only took a single cell phone four months after? And contrast that with an individual called Thomas Caldwell, who is one of his co-defendants now. Caldwell was arrested very early on in mid-January. Caldwell got the full Fed raid treatment where they went in with guns, they raided his place, they took every electronic in sight. Then they charged him immediately with a conspiracy charge to obstruct an official proceeding. And if you look at the conspiracy charging documents... The whole conspiracy of the government's case is based on Stuart Rhodes' statements and actions. And so that raises another question about Rhodes' seditious conspiracy indictment. Why did the feds wait an entire year for this big indictment when they could have taken him off the streets with a lesser indictment, either for the same conspiracy charge that they hit Thomas Caldwell for and others, or a trespassing charge which we know he trespassed, there's footage of him on the Capitol grounds. And they've charged others with trespassing, even who didn't go into the Capitol. So putting these things together, you have to wonder, okay, they, they were taking him so seriously that they were building up this mega seditious conspiracy case through the course of a whole year. And yet in that year, they only search a single cell phone four months after January 6th, and they neglect the option to hit him with a lesser charge and just do a superseding indictment uh, for the seditious case. So those are really important questions that linger. And I think the seditious conspiracy charge is actually a way for the government to get away with the perfect crime. And I'd love to explain that, well, but you, I'll, I'll stop here. Do and, you think that Rhodes is a Fed or in some way involved with Feds? I think that that is the most powerful explanation for the questions that I just raised. When yes. you guys say it, Fed, you mean a federal agent, not necessarily well, Federal Bureau fed, of Investigation. Fed is, yeah, Fed is okay. a, uh, a vague a term. I think that the most likely explanation for the questions that I raised was that he had some relationship with some government agency. Is it is it possible that the reason they didn't go after him early on. The reason they didn't try and dredge up any other information was because they knew there was none. And the only reason they're bringing charges now is that it's an election year and it justifies establishment political talking points. Um, I think that would be a plausible explanation if none of the other people were charged. But if they knew there was no information, then how did they get this guy Thomas Caldwell on conspiracy where the whole conspiracy in the charging documents is full of Stuart Rhodes' statements and actions? So if they thought that amounted to nothing, how do you explain that they hit this minor figure who's just a fellow traveler, not even an Oath Keeper, and this guy who's built up as the big boogeyman head of the Oath Keepers, they leave him untouched and unsearched? Here's my here, – you know, I see all of the uh, – the, the Daily Show did that thing where it was like, you know um, – rest in peace, the, mm -hmm. there was no sedition charges talking point. Yeah. I just respond with – has anybody been convicted of insurrection or sedition even? Huh. Well, You're innocent no, until proven yeah, guilty. I don't be, care if the government says you are. There's going to be no no conviction. And I, here's well, what well, I well, – well, yeah. you know, Look, I'll, I'll be uh, – look, when a lot of people came out and said, was anybody charged with sedition or insurrection? We've brought that talking point up as well. And it's it's relevant up until the government decides to do it. 
Right. So I'll say this right now. Maybe someone will be convicted. But the talking point isn't that it'll never happen is for right now with the January 6th committee coming out and saying all of these things. Right. Just because you charge someone, I don't care. When these people are convicted, we can have a conversation about, right. you know, that we found in a court of law. They, they attempted to do these things. And that being said, the federal government, when they charge people, they have a very, very high conviction rate. So right. is this gonna, except is, for seditious conspiracy, ironically, true. except for. So just two more really important points about Rhodes in particular in this charge. One is the timing. OK, part of the timing was the whole, you know, Fed's erection narrative was at its absolute apex. I think more important than that, though, is just like a week before Rhodes was charged, an attorney for another Oath Keeper subpoenaed Rhodes and was getting him to testify in the Oath Keeper's case. And one consequence of actually charging Rhodes is it clears him off the table so that he has a perfect excuse not to testify because he just pleads the fifth. And this is part of the playbook. In fact, it happened in the Michigan case. One of the big informants in that case was named Steve Robeson. Once he was outed, the government immediately slapped him with an unrelated gun charge that clears him off the table. So that's one aspect that I think is really important in relation to the timing. Another thing is this, is if I were the feds and I wanted to cover up the perfect crime, I would do precisely what they just did with the seditious conspiracy charge for the following reasons. Think of what the charge achieves. One, it gives a big headline that for lower information people or people who don't really understand the argument, they say, oh, he's hit with this charge. He must not be a Fed. So it, quote unquote, debunks the right wing people who say, oh, Fed surrection. On the other hand, it assuages and satisfies all of these left wing people who have been furious that he hasn't been charged for a year because in their minds, the government is protecting him because the government's a bunch of Trump loving Nazis. So it assuages them. But thirdly, there's a problem. If they hit Rhodes with a serious charge and Rhodes is a Fed, then Rhodes has leverage over them and can say, I'm going to go rogue if you guys betray me. But I think they have the perfect cover story for that, too, because they could go to Rhodes and say, look, we're going to hit you with a seditious conspiracy charge. It's going to sound serious. But the public story is you are going to cooperate and get tell us what you know about Alex Jones. Tell us what you know about Roger Stone. Just smear a bunch of dirt on Trump's inner circle, which is what the media wants more than anything. And so the public story will look like, oh, Rhodes is cooperating because he's giving up Trump's inner circle. And so they won't follow through with the charges. And right. so they don't force Rhodes to go rogue. They shut up the Fedsurrection, quote-unquote, conspiracy theorists on the right. They shut up the people on the left who are furious he wasn't charged. And they put more dirt on Trump's inner circle all in one move. So I think I'm not saying that's that's necessarily what it is. But if I were consulting with the feds and saying, what's the most elegant solution to this problem that you're in right now? This looks pretty close it would to also that. shatter just, the Oath Keepers, I would me, imagine, by ripping the head off the snake. Well, let um, me just let me just point out uh, at least one, temporarily. Uh, I need to point out one very obvious and definitive fact. The, the, the federal officers here are conspiracy theorists. 
Oh, they, they've, yes. they've not proven any conspiracy. Literally. <laughs> they've actually just theorized a, con- a conspiracy took place and have yet to prove it to anybody. So for the time being, a bunch of conspiracy theorists are seeding information to CNN who reports it as fact. Mind you, the reporter, I won't say her, say her name, is one of the lead reporters in Russiagate. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got that one wrong. That one wrong. That was wrong. Not not that reporter. That was the, the Russia thing. But uh, uh, I'll just leave it at that. And, and I got that one mixed up. Yes, and it just in, in, in light of this conspiracy theory, it, you're absolutely right, and you're right in the literal sense. Benny Thompson, who is the chair of the January 6th committee, in his personal capacity, sued Trump, Roger Stone, Oath Keepers, and Proud Boys, and laid out his literal conspiracy theory, which was that Trump's inner circle colluded with the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers in order to do January 6th. That's actually the conspiracy theory, which is weird because given the prominent role that Stuart Rhodes played in the January 6th chairman's theory, he waited until November to subpoena Rhodes. I find that also a little bit weird. And he only did that after Revolver News uh, put on the pressure by saying, what the hell's going on with the committee? They're neglecting Rhodes and they're going after seemingly anyone who was within a mile radius of the Capitol on January 6th and taking their phones and communications and so forth. So where does it go? Well, it's they, good, they're not going to convict him. I I think that's extremely unlikely, and I but I think a very interesting dynamic is in play. Um, a very interesting dynamic is in play. I think these are um, there. It's an elegant attempt, but it's also a risky attempt because the the more that they do this, just like their cover up with Epps saying, "Oh, Epps isn't a Fed because." Epps talked to the committee and told us he wasn't a Fed without releasing Epps's exact statements and without even telling us that uh, Epps's statement was under oath. And it's a weirdly precise statement of Epps not being a law enforcement official. Well, well, DOD is not law enforcement. There are a lot of other agencies that aren't law enforcement that he may have been affiliated with. Department of Energy. I want to ask you about this. So uh, a lot of speculation, a lot of theorizing. But to be fair, there's nothing definitive here. When it comes to uh, Ray Epps, uh, no charges, which is strange to me, to be completely honest, Mm -hmm. because Kinzinger is downplaying the incitement of insurrection. And when it comes to the Oath Keepers, you bring up a lot of interesting points as to why they're only charging him now. However, when I go to Mm revolver.news, what's this? NewsGuard says you're fake news, good sir. (laughs) They give you a zero out of 100 credibility score. Now, now, why would that be? Are you are you spinning <clears throat> spinning yarns here? Well, yeah. The, so news. What'd you do to Bill Gates? <laughs> <laughs> right. So NewsGuard is this sort of scam organization that uh, basically their shill is they say we are going to provide a nutrition label to websites and the websites that cover stuff about you know uh, COVID that uh, that the pharmaceutical industries don't like the stuff that covers stuff about national security state that the various authorities don't like those have bad nutrition labels and so we reported on them pretty strongly and pretty severely and the organizations that are involved so just to give you a sense of what this organization is like one of their strategic advisors is Michael Hayden who is the former head of the CIA also former head of the NSA whose claim to fame was basically lying to Congress about the existence of the NSA's surveillance program, which Edward Snowden went on to reveal. So Michael Hayden's part of their group. Another guy, let me see, his... his uh, uh, Funded by Microsoft. Exactly. Funded by another guy is Rick Stangle. He's a, he's a real champion. He's also an advisor for them. He identified himself in a panel as 
Obama's chief propagandist. And he stated he has no problem whatsoever with propaganda and, in fact, supports the idea of countries using propaganda domestically against their own citizens. Mm-hmm. And so well, this is uh, Rick Stengel, who is advising NewsGuard to apply nutrition labels to websites. They have financial ties to pharmaceutical giants like Pfizer and others. Simply put, this is an organization that's so compromised with um, with with such conflicts of interest that the idea that not only are they so the, the the arrogance and the chutzpah of them saying we have the authority to judge other sites, but we are going to ask other people to pay us to tell them what sites they should look at and trust. It's really amazing, and I guess it's you know it's a good grift if you can get it. Well, I. I, I... I don't think they're as bad as you put them out to be, but I do think they're bad. I've criticized them for being heavily biased. One of the things they do is, you know, these mainstream news organizations are the basis for which they decide things are true. So if you publish something, they're inherently biased against you to say that's right. probably not true. If the New York Times publishes it, even if it's not true, it's inherently true. Right. Because the only way they can actually fact check something is by checking it against mainstream news sources, which creates a feedback loop of... <clears throat> Mainstream media will always be credible because they are. That's true, but I think it's also quite remarkable that they have, you know, deep financial ties with Pfizer and that on their board is literally the head of the NSA and the CIA, whose basic job it was to lie. If you're the head of the CIA, your job is to lie. Well, so here's the way I see it. Um, and he's their advisor? We, we, so one of the, one of the sources we like to use, Post Millennial, mm-hmm. they're, they're certified as very credible. Um, like, you know, uh, very much so. There are a lot of websites, uh, Daily Mail. You probably shouldn't Fox have said News. that because they're going to go to their, the site tomorrow and no, no, most I, I millennials think I, I, have I, like one star. The reason why we, we use NewsGuard is because we know their bias mm-hmm. and it's effectively a shield. So I love it when, you know, uh, early on when I started producing videos, I'd get a lot of these claims that I was pushing conspiracies or fake news. And so I installed NewsGuard. And now when we have a segment up and we have the article on the screen and it's got the NewsGuard shield, we just say, oh, it's okay. Bill Gates approved us. Mm-hmm. Bill Gates approved us. Hayden approved us. We only use sources that are certified by NewsGuard. So right. in doing so, first, and I'll say this too. I don't think it's actually, it's not even that difficult to get certified by NewsGuard. It's just you need a corrections policy. You need to put bylines in your articles and, you know, let, let them know who people the are. The Economist doesn't have bylines. Well, yeah, what's and, NewsGuard's and, uh, rating of The Economist? Actually, let's check You know, the, the Rothschild-connected economist. Ooh. <laughs> no, they don't have bylines. It's annoying. Let's see if we can pull it up even. Well, they're good, and oh, yeah, they're, they're actually uh, labeled as – there are no bylines on The Economist? Oh, there's not. Not yeah. usually. I don't think so. Some websites don't – oh, yeah, look at this. Look at that. No byline. Mm-hmm. And NewsGuard says this website adheres to all nine of their <laughs> standards, <laughs> including – the site provides the name of content creators along with either contact or biographical information. Well, I, the first article I pulled up doesn't have one. Huh. Let's pull up another article and see if we got Australia cancels visa. No uh, byline. Yeah. Is it no down? bylines. None no. whatsoever. No byline. Mm-hmm. So this is what I've been saying about their bias. Is it right? at the bottom of the story by any chance? Is that possible? Uh, typically, the byline is at the. It needs to be at the top. So when it says international, there's nothing there, and you scroll down, and there's no bylines, then <coughs> suffice it to Pay say, it. there are no bylines on The Economist. Good call out, by the way. Yep. Yeah. This is the issue I say no. with their bias, and it's, and, it, and, it's, and it's obvious. But there are many outlets that, you know, they'll get a few strikes, but it allows us to, to, to break through and effectively provides us a shield, and that it can be like, hey, look, when this happened, and it's reported by this outlet, and they say it's true, 
Well, yep. it's certified by NewsGuard, so good luck. The elite yeah. level is zero stars plus being fired by <laughs> Biden. That's that's how you know <laughs> you're, on the you're right doing track. something right. Have you guys heard I, this IPG Media Brands strikes exclusive deal with NewsGuard to go beyond website ratings to rate individual cable and broadcast TV news shows? Well, there this you go. This early December 21. They're creating. They're 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 trying. They've been trying to create at, at YouTube and with NewsGuard and with his other outlets an acceptable lane of conversation. Uh, within reason, I'm willing to accept, uh, I'm willing to use websites that are NewsGuard certified. When it comes to an article you guys publish about like Ray Epps, and it's mm-hmm. just, it's showing videos and, and asking questions about it, that's credible. Yeah. You literally published a video that's been published in other places. I have no, I have no qualms with that. I can fact check what you put and be like, they're telling the truth. The fact that I don't know who published it, but I know you run it is, is immaterial to me. When it comes to Project Veritas, they give Veritas a, a strike saying they're not credible. Which is absurd to me because Veritas does original reporting and publishes all of the, the video, videos. Right. So how could you argue that's not correct? Well, you're absolutely right that I think largely it is it is a kind of uh grift. It's basically the the Theranos of content moderation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, uh you know, it's got all these national security crooks um, you know, advising. But I think it's very instructive. So Rick Stengel, the guy that I mentioned who described himself as Obama's chief propagandist, in uh we Revolver ran a piece exposing NewsGuard, which may play into their uh less than charitable rating of us. But in in our piece on NewsGuard, Rick Stengel goes on to say, you know what? As uh, he, the, it was a Q and A period, and someone asked, so why aren't you going after Fox News? What's the matter? And he basically said. I'm paraphrasing, but people are free to go to the, go to the article. He basically says, you know, I understand why you would want to go after Fox News, but we have to basically have this semblance of some kind of neutrality. And if we go after Fox News, it's just not going to work because Fox News is so mainstream. Plus, there are some good reporters at Fox, like Shepard Smith and Chris Wallace. <laughs> so he like wow. he uh, those are the two examples. And Shepard Smith, of course, is not there anymore, and Chris Wallace is not there uh, anymore. <laughs> right. So, what is it? Uh, CNN and MSNBC, or where, where did something? Shep go? Yeah, uh, I think he went to NBC, but yeah. I'm not I'm not sure. But that's the attitude they have, and so it's like, well, we kind of ha- we can't ding Fox News completely, otherwise we have you know no pretense to credibility. And plus, Fox has some good people like Shepard Smith. You know, that's that's the attitude that they bring to this uh, content moderation, assigning nutrition labels, which in itself is a bizarre and somewhat creepy analogy to apply you, you, to information. You know who's got balls? Tucker Carlson. Mm. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. He Because, you know, I think he's better than uh, um, if, if I was going to look at their primetime lineup. Not the biggest fan of Hannity. He's all right. Whatever. I'm not the biggest fan. Yep. Laura Ingram's pretty good, but not the biggest fan. Kind of boring. Yeah, yeah, but and it's it's about originality. It's about yep. You know, am I hearing something new, something unique? And like it, it, Tucker, right? He's willing to be you know make jokes. He's willing to he he brings up new information, new questions. He covers right. things that I'm like, wow, he's well, going for. He's it. somebody like I I really uh really am a fan of Tucker and uh, friends with Tucker, and I've been you know he's done you know uh, a lot in terms of you know helping. Um, our reporting and, and so forth. But I have to say about Tucker is, you know, what I commend him for the most is he's in a position of tremendous power and tremendous responsibility. And he's one of the few people that you can say he's actually 
discharging that responsibility in the right way, not in the way that's easy, but in the way that's right. And there are so few people that in that position where you have a, a cable show and millions and millions of people are listening to you, and he actually uses that position of authority in the way that it should be used. And um, so I think we have to give him a lot of yeah. credit. He doesn't that. just play party politics. Exactly. He's willing to criticize the Republicans. He criticized Donald Trump when right. Donald Trump committed acts that were totally what he promised not to do. Yep. So he's he, willing he, to go there. Yep. He has a tweet where he said something about like the elites ripping off the working class. And DSA, like Democratic Socialists, were posting it uh, on their forums like, what bizarro world are we win when are we in when Tucker is actually on our side on these issues? I bring him up because you look at Shep Smith and you look at Chris Wallace and they're the opposite. They're the cowards. There, there's, there's yes. no world in which a sane, rational person reading the news looks at what Tucker Carlson does and says he's making this up because mm. certainly mm. he gets things wrong. But he's willing to actually address factual issues that people in the media are lying about. And touch so, things that no one – there are so many things that would not appear on American cable television were it not for Tucker. Absolutely. Across the entire spectrum of cable news. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to – has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So what is it at Fox News that Shep Smith has to flee from? Brett Bayer? He does, he's a fine. It's, it's, it, Brett Bayer's fine. He's just yeah, a straight news guy. Yeah. So why is Shep Smith like, oh, I can't be here? Cowardice. They're scared. Nope. They want it. There's, there's a cult phenomenon happening mm -hmm. where if you don't just tow the line, even Fox News <laughs> came out and I will not drop this one on the, on the Ahmed Arbery case with McMichaels mm -hmm. cheered for the conviction of a guy who was just filming cowardice. Right. If right. Fox News is unwilling to challenge something that was clearly unjust because they're right. spineless, Shep Smith was still scared enough that he'd leave. Right. These people are terrified. Yes. You, and we, we were, yeah. sorry, just we were talking yeah. about this earlier about cancel culture on the right. And and you were mentioning something to the fact that the right is actually more willing to cancel Absolutely. people yeah. further right of the moderate conservative yes. because they're too scared to look like they're outside of the opinion of the of mainstream you know corporate press. Absolutely. My favorite moment on national television was a few months ago when Tucker Carlson was handing it off to Sean Hannity and they got into an argument over Jeff Bezos. Yes. Because oh, yeah. again, Tucker Carlson wasn't afraid to talk about the billionaire class and the globalists that are of course are connected to the CIA doing horrible things. And Hannity tried to correct him on it, and it made for just the perfect Hannity. awkward television moment that was awesome <laughs> to see. Amazing. Tucker was like, we're being ripped off by these guys. And then Hannity in the handoff goes, if someone provides a service and makes money, I got no problem with that. And Tucker did the Tucker face where he's like, you know, <laughs> right. curled brow like, what? <laughs> right. But so I, 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 you look at these people who are now what, you know, NBC or CNN, and what about Fox News' partial capitulation to corporate mainstream narratives 
scared them that they had to go full on capitulation of the corporate press. Spinelessness. I, I've, I've been in the Fox building. I've been on a bunch of these shows. I've been on Tucker, I think maybe once or twice. I've been on the primetime show very often. I went on Jesse Waters show several times and I'm in the building. I'm in the makeup room. I'm hearing what these people are talking about. These people are questioning a lot of these narratives. They're in the Fox building for heaven's sake. Mm. So how is it that Shep Smith could, could be surrounded by questions, nuance and factual information and go, I got to get out of here. One reason he knows it's right. But he's a spineless coward who's scared of being ostracized, so he jumps ship. Right. And he was tremendously unpopular with the Fox audience and probably got a better contract at NBC. And Wallace. But, but I, th- I think there's a really important point to be made about the um, the economy of media. And, you know, the, the typical kind of uh, metaphor used, this sort of marketplace of ideas, simply doesn't apply to the media. Because if it were the case... Tucker is the most popular cable news channel in the country. And so you would think just out of self-interest, if it were all just a business, people would copy him just to get his ratings and get the money that comes with it. But that's just simply not how things operate. The profit motive is not the core of what a major media institution is about. Influence always supersedes profit and that's why you don't see everyone lining up to just copy the Tucker model, even on Fox News, because it's about influence. And it's also why you see, you know, Tucker having, you know, advertisers cancel. Yeah. It's why in my situation, what would seemingly be a, a really great moment in my career uh, with Revolver News where I'm on Tucker and Tucker said, wow, you guys did a great job here. And the next day, we're canceled from Google Ads. And what other kind of business is it where you maximize your influence and that commensurately diminishes your earning capacity? So the the business of information is just too important to the system to be left to the profit motive because it's the business of creating people's reality. It's a propaganda industry. That's why Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. Even though the Washington Post doesn't make enough money, he doesn't care about that because he's buying the influence. Exactly. Did you see the meme where it's like the Washington Post writes an article saying, you know, the problem of the billionaires and elites. Then the next one is Jeff Bezos purchases the Washington Post. And the next article is we should cut some slack to the billionaires and the elites. (laughs) Something like that. Let's talk about this story we got from the Hill. YouTube temporarily suspends and demonetizes Dan Bongino's channel. This is huge, notably because Dan Bongino plays a huge role in Rumble. I believe he's one of their principal investors, and he's been moving off the platform anyway, not to mention his podcast, the, the audio version, is one of the biggest in the world. The Hill says, YouTube took action against conservative commentator Dan Bongino's channel Friday, suspending it for violating the platform's COVID-19 misinformation policy and demonetizing it for at least 30 days. The week-long posting suspension stems from a video where Bongino said that masks are useless in stopping the spread of the disease. YouTube's COVID-19 policy specifically prohibits content denying the effectiveness of wearing masks, which the vast majority of the scientific community agrees reduces the risk of infection. This is true. Even the frontline doctors have said to wear masks. This is one of the things that really bothers me. But Dan Bongino, in my opinion, is entitled to his opinion. YouTube doing this is driving a nail into their own platform. And not only that, useless. Is it a fact statement or a hyperbolic statement? 
Is he saying it's not effective enough and just being hyperbolic? Was his intention to say that they do nothing or that they don't do enough is the issue. There's no room for nuance. When I see things like this, it says to me that YouTube's actual intent is just get rid of people like Dan Bongino. Yeah, people that are on their way out anyway, and they're like, well, he's obviously sending his energy into Rumble right now. And he's and he's driving viewers from YouTube to Rumble, so they're like, (laughs) cut him off now. But I do want to point this out, too, for a lot of people, because we've had people on the show uh, question the effectiveness of masks. It is true. On the box, on the mask box, says it doesn't stop you know, the COVID virus. Right. But it does stop you from spitting on people. And and for some reason, there was this flippening where early in the pandemic, conservatives wanted to wear masks and then all of a sudden didn't. And now we're in this, this era where the right is saying, you know, things like masks are useless. Let me just say this. I've looked at a bunch of studies and a bunch of data. The virus, as my understanding, can be transmitted aerosolized through vapor, as well as from spit, if you're spitting. If you're wearing a mask, you're blocking that spit, and I think it's fairly obvious that would stop you from spitting on people and help reduce the transmission of COVID. The frontline coalition of doctors that they do the mask protocol and talk about alternative treatments actually tell people to wear masks as well. So I I, I don't understand why there's like a tribal thing to say not wear them. That being said, I oppose the suspension. I oppose the censorship, obviously. But you know what? If it builds up Rumble, not even necessarily even the biggest fan of Rumble, mind you, but if it if, if it if it breaks the YouTube monopoly, then so be it. Let them be their own demise. I think YouTube is also dealing with a very tough situation. Rogan getting forty million to fifty million views, uh, according to some estimates, with his latest interviews with Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, and I think those big, huge instances that everyone's talking about is something that, of course, YouTube is missing out on, and that's why we even talked about a few days ago why Joe Rogan's move to Spotify was a, a kind of genius move, a smarter move, because YouTube could deal without having Rogan on their platform, but Spotify can't. YouTube's already censoring you know, the videos that were on there, but, but there comes a certain point where people start seeing YouTube for what it is. And I think YouTube is reaching this kind of pivotal point where they're like, holy crap, everyone's kind of jumping ship here. What do we do? I think this is a a kind of very important turning stone moment where a lot of people are asking the questions, where do we go next? Turning stone moment. Yes. We Another need, Lukeism. Yes. Let, let, that's a good one. Yes. Good, yeah. I don't know what a turning stone is, but I do like the I sound of it. it. We should make like a root, a stone with like, you know, <laughs> ancient carvings on it, you know, changing the narrative. Stone. The turning stone. No, I think, you know, what we're seeing right now, the fear and panic over Joe Rogan. And I, I, I believe what we're seeing here from YouTube is fear and panic over Dan Bongino. Mm. Mm-hmm. So there have been a bunch of people. We were talking to the CEO of Rumble who was saying that people do live streams on YouTube. And then tell everybody, okay, the rest of the show will only be on Rumble. Mm -hmm. So they simulcast at the same time on both platforms. And then halfway through the show, say, bye-bye, YouTube, and turn it off to drive everyone to the other platform. That's massive. Yes. That's that's very damaging. Dan Bongino puts his show on Rumble. Suspending him will do nothing. In fact, it will just hurt YouTube. Now, my ultimate fear is YouTube plays a dirty game. They Google Alphabet, they subsidize YouTube. So it's very difficult for the likes of, say, Rumble to compete with a partner program like YouTube where Google gets all this money from external sources and then pays people. But as Super Chats are becoming the principal driver of revenue, you look at Salty Cracker, who's on Rumble, and we were talking to the CEO of Rumble, and he's like, this guy is getting insane amounts of Super Chats. He's doing better than he would be on YouTube. Because people support him and they're involved and you'll get a better community on these other platforms. I don't know if Rumble is the answer, but you know what? With the more I see the censorship, let these big tech companies be their own demise. It's not. Yeah, I wouldn't say that Rumble is the answer, but it 
it's definitely a soothing mechanism for the pain for the moment. It's not solving the problem of tech censorship because it's still a proprietary censorable network that is Mm -hmm. censoring actively. It's just more, maybe more judicious in its censorship currently. Um, I, you know, I'm all for it, but we got to free the software code. The, the absurdity of the YouTube position on this as it pertains to COVID misinformation is that so much changes every single day from even Dr. Fauci himself. How are we supposed to know what the rules are or abide by rules when the science keeps changing? There's a meme of Fauci as Vader where he's like, the science has changed. Pray I don't change it further. You know, the mm-hmm. line, you know, he's like, the deal has changed or whatever the arrangement. So when we're looking at their policy on COVID misinformation, and then you get breaking news where it's like in New York, they have record breaking cases. What are we supposed to say? Mm. What? How are you even supposed to follow those rules? Unless you are blind to history to even recent history, and you just repeat whatever it is the mainstream media is saying, right. you're going to get banned whenever they feel well, like banning you. Well, that's a great point because what you're saying means that it's all about controlling who's able to shape and drive narratives. You can exist downstream from sanctioned narratives and you're fine, but if if you're in the business of shaping narratives, then you're in trouble because you can't get out ahead of the mainstream authoritative sources. Yeah. It's as simple as that. This is part of what's leading to impact invest impact investing. Have you followed this impact investing? Sorry, my headphones just cut out and back in. Have you heard of this at all? Impact yes. investments? This yeah. is like twenty first century people with big money are coming to basically buy off influence. Mm-hmm. It's all about purchasing influence yep. now and, and getting ahead of well, it. Well, I mean influence is incredibly important. I, you know, arguably more important than money itself. I think so. And and that's how it's treated. Influence is uh, you know, the the media really is in the business of creating people's reality and that the the system needs that to sustain itself. The entire ecology of how the ruling class exists, the regime exists, it all rests on shaping narratives for people. And that that's why it's more important than any profit and why profit motive is not never going to be the ultimate factor in any major media organization. Controlling the myth. Do you, do you remember yeah. when Micah Brzezinski said that? I don't remember. She said it's our, Mika Brzezinski said it's our job to control what people think or something like that. I understand there's this shared myth. That's Bigniew Brzezinski's uh, daughter, by the way, who's also a very interconnected globalist. But the the big aspect here is that this was a temporary suspension. This is why I think this is an important moment with YouTube at first cutting Don Bongino off and then coming back and saying, okay, we'll we'll give you your your money back. I think they're in a desperate situation. I think they're losing a lot of key critical viewers. I think overall people are realizing hey, I don't want to be dictated to, I don't want an algorithm curating what I should see. I don't want my perspective limited to a few tech oligarchs and their flip-flop right. wearing yate, dr- latte drinking limousine liberal viewpoints. I, I don't want that. I want the internet that was first given to us that was free, that was open, that was weird, that was wild. I loved when I was able to go on there and see raw humanity in front of us and not a corporate Disney World viewpoint that is watered down exactly. to save slogans and talking points. Are, and I think YouTube is is realizing that. And I think, I mean, let's, I, they're making a big change here. And that's why I think they brought back uh, monetization for Bongino. Let's uh, brought back. What do you mean? They suspended Suspend from, temporarily. 30 no, no, no. Days. He's kicked out of the partner program. He has to reapply in one month. He's done. He's out. But let's play a fun game. This is called... Micah Brz- Mika Brzezinski, whatever, our job to control what people think, followed by her public statement after the fact. Let me play the audio for you. Exactly. That is, that's exactly what I hear. What Yamish just said is what I hear from all the Trump supporters that I talk to who were Trump voters. 
and are still Trump supporters, they go, yeah, you guys are going crazy. He's doing, what are you so surprised about? He's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Well, and I think that the dangerous, you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts. And it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that if, is the that is our you, job. Yeah. If you look at the <laughs> and that is our job, she said. And then she tweets today. I said it's the media job to keep President Trump from making up his own facts. Not that it's our job to control what people think. Yo, she said Trump could make up, you know, he could tell people exactly what to think, but that's our job. Yeah, right. And then she tweets she didn't say it. Right. That's You got to be a special kind of stupid to fall for the media at this point. I'm sorry, man. I just I just can't deal with these people. I I think that. Uh, when you talk about a shared mythology, humans need one, otherwise they fight. So we had Christianity for the religions developed as a shared myth. And now like news media is kind of like a shared mythology. Everyone can tune in and, and organize and believe the same thing. But obviously when they're lying to you, you don't want that myth. We got to find a, a more stable, real myth. But what, what do we do in this fractured information economy? What's the real Yo, mythology yeah, of today? Their ratings are down by 90%. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna have some champagne. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna sit back. We're gonna have a good night. It's Friday night. We got news earlier in the week that the, the MSNBC and CNN's ratings are down by ninety percent. Guess Incredible. what? Our ratings are going up. That's right. Your 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 viewership is going up. So yeah. you know what? I don't care about these people. I love exposing them and showing these 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 duplicitous, uh, evil people are lying to you and manipulating. And I, I, I long for a world where people, they assume personal responsibility. They work hard. They strive to be the best person they can be. And that's only, only, that only will be possible when they're getting correct information for which to build their lives off of. Yep. And there's even poll numbers showing that Americans trust the media on COVID for an estimated uh, 10% of Americans. 10% of Americans trust the media when it comes to COVID. <laughs> Just that little. Yep. Amazing. You got to be careful. And with- Fauci's at 31%, I think. Even yep. if the media is being honest, like if I draw a six on the table and you're like, that's a nine. And I'm like, that's a six, Darren. And then we get into an argument. We're both right. But we're obviously not saying the same. We were seeing different things, but we're both right. So even if a media is is being honest with you, you're still going to have people seeing different things. And we got to figure out a way to communicate a shared like understanding of reality, even when we're seeing it differently. You know what I think? I think I'm going to buy a bunch of CNN um, swag and memorabilia because it's going to be, you know, not that they're about to, they're, they're collapsing and crumbling. Awful. Yeah. It's going to become, you know, va- like once CNN is gone, people are going to be like, oh, whoa, I remember that. I see him in the air. It's going to be like the uh, Buffalo nickel. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> it'll be like, it'll be, it'll be five years from now and it'll be like, yo, check this out. I got a CNN mug. Like, go, uh, no way. Crystal Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. You know what, man? We have a decentralizing media environment. There's good things and there's bad things about it. With the, the bad is that some people, you know, go off in rabbit holes. That, that can happen. But for the most part, you end up with, um, you know, on YouTube and now with competition forming on Rumble. The ability to get multiple voices of differing opinions, which gives you a healthier diet. When you go on one of these platforms, and this is why I think it's bad that YouTube is censoring people, because here's the benefit. You can go on YouTube 
and look up something about immigration. You can find videos from me, kind of moderate. You can find videos from Crowder, more conservative, videos from Jimmy Dore, anti-establishment left, and maybe even, you know, the Young Turks establishment left. You get all of those different views. You get a healthier diet through YouTube. YouTube censorship is turning them into everything wrong with CNN and MSNBC, that all their hosts tell the exact same line, say the exact same thing, and do not give you a healthy perspective. I like the fact that there's more websites, more channels, more personalities, that people have less centralized power in this, because now you can have people who watch this show, watch Crowder and Jimmy Dore and be like, hey, Tim, you were wrong about this. Jimmy Dore said this and Crowder said this. And I can be like, oh, how? Oh, wow. Good, good point. More voices, better. Right. Censorship bad. Uh, diminishing return. More voices better. <laughs> diminishing return on that. For sure. If you have too many voices, then it becomes incoherent. Well, Although, as long as you can select the way you view the voices, maybe more voices the better. I don't understand how YouTube thinks that they could have a future when they're trying to shove down our throats this nasty crap that is CNN that people don't even want to watch in airports and hotel rooms. I think that Google's given up. I, I mean, their viewership is going down dramatically, as Tim just mentioned. But And, and this is this is their strategy. Whenever you look up something news-related, we get CNN, something that people overwhelmingly don't like. How can a business keep well again again it gets to the point it's not a business in the usual sense and the fact that they are continuing this trajectory of presumably hurting their customer experience and so forth indicates for one that that's their not their primary objective is to be important because they don't really have to they're subsidized by the most powerful company in the world essentially and secondly it shows the more that they censor it shows that they're actually betting on all of these incipient alternatives to be crushed in some fashion or another. And I think that's another thing that we should really think about is that, yes, you know, Rumble's growing and those alternatives are growing, but there might be just an ultimate bottleneck to a genuine alternative to what YouTube was supposed to be. And once something gets to be too influential and too subversive, the regime will find ways to destroy it. That's true. But they are losing, it looks like. And, you know, uh, we have we had this funny article. I don't think we'll get into it in greater detail, but Joe Rogan mocks Getter saying, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to get off. He complained (laughs) the site artificially bloats follower counts by including a person's Twitter following. And he's right about that. I don't I I like Getter. There's a lot of users on it. That's Mm -hmm. important. But I do think Gab is substantially better in that they run their own infrastructure. And they're actually challenging the establishment and becoming a real thorn in their Well, it's just a different enterprise. You know, their Gab is really doing a full spectrum. Like they're taking very seriously the idea of just build your own X. And they're doing it with the platform, with the server, with the browser, with the payment process. They're, they're going full spectrum and they're, they're just playing a very different game, a much more difficult game. I give them tremendous credit for, you know, you know, Andrew Torba for his ambition, his persistence, his boldness. Um, and, you know, I, I wish him all the best in it, but I really think if, if you want to be at on the main stage as a communications platform, you're ultimately going to come up to that bottleneck of the national security state and of the regime. And they have many ways to uh, to deal with emerging threats yeah. like this. They can go after centralized services of any kind. So if you control the logins, if you control the passwords, if you store any data, the CIA can come take it at any moment. So you want to decentralize services in that manner. And they can also take your code, your source code, and force force you to shut up and do what they want. And if you're the only one that has the code, they basically lock it in. And they, they make it do what they want. So you free the code out so that if you get stuck, at least the code's still out there for people to wrap up more 
He's a communist. Don't listen to him. <laughs> Cyber communist. I don't know. I, I, we, we we argue about the free the code thing. I don't think it's a yeah. solution. It's too, it's for me. It's a vulnerability for the for the deep state to take a hold of your company if that's the only place where that code can is exists. I just don't. If someone builds code, the code belongs like to them and to their the company. CIA. It belongs to the CIA. If the when CIA it gets builds popular. it. No, if Google builds it, the CIA yeah, 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 controls that's, that's, it. Basically, that's, that's unfortunately, theft, take a know? drink, everyone. Ian said, "Free the code." I'm not, <laughs> and it is another. <laughs> I'm not, I'm we need a bingo card. It's not just with, CIA. Like, Ian's but I imagine, points. along with what Darren, what you're saying is that they will. The government does come when the organization gets big enough and will start to control it from the right. outside. Even look at Parler as you know, Parler. I, I think it's fair to say is a joke compared to. Gab and it's a joke compared to Getter. And even in that case, when it looked like, oh, it might be some type of threat, January 6th completely destroyed it. Yeah. You know, on top of, I think, probably incompetence and, and, and so forth. But all it served was, oh, there's a bunch of chatter on Parlor pertaining to this insurrection event. Now all of a sudden it is a vehicle for threatening the national security state and it's treated like a threat. And that gets back full circle back to the Lindell situation is that if you are a genuine threat to the regime or in any in any remote sense, you become Iran. Let's go yep. to Super Chats, my friends. If you haven't already, smash that like button, subscribe to the channel, share the show with your friends. And if you haven't already, get those Super Chats in. We're going to read your comments. All right. A lot of the first Super Chats were, was everyone telling us our audio was bad. Yeah, And people were like, Tim's, this is a, their conspiracy theory was that we purposefully <laughs> had the audio bad to get a bunch of free yes. Super Chats. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see what we got. Nerd Gamer says, just wanted to say it's been a rough couple months for me from my GF of five years cheating and some other family issues. But whenever I watch the podcast, I feel like I finally have friends to talk to even if I can't respond. Nerd Gamer buddy, thanks for being our friend and hanging out and watching that show. It's because of people like you were able to do this and it's possible. And uh, you know what, man? Go for a walk. Go to a, you know go to a bar, f- pick up a hobby. I'm a uh, Ian and I. We like playing Magic the Gathering. Go to a game shop. You'll make a ton of friends, and yeah. that's always really important. And the best thing is, once you're in the shop, you can put on the podcast and get a whole bunch of new friends to listen to our show. And it's great marketing. I'm just kidding, man. Oh yeah, that's do, do, do right by you, and we appreciate your, your you know you hanging out. And we appreciate the super chat. Yeah. Dalimar says Monday morning and over the weekend withdraw everything from Minnesota Bank and Trust to make them insolvent. Destroy yes. that bank. Well, I don't know about all that. All right, you guys do what you think is right, but I will tell you this. If the goal of this bank was not to generate negative press and be involved in this, then the stupidest thing to do would be to terminate a very high-profile individual's bank accounts and all of them at the same time. And now here we are, everyone talking about it. Congratulations, Minnesota Bank and Trust. You've put yourself in the spotlight. All right. Joe Burns says, hey, Tim and friends, can you please do a favor from one chicken fan to another? There's a breed of chicken known as showgirls. They're fluffy white chickens with naked necks and purple skin. Fans will love them. (laughs) That sounds very silly. So the the uh, uh, the black star chickens that we have, the girls are beautiful. This is when you breed a Rhode Island Red with a barred Plymouth Rock. Oh, those are silly looking little things. That's it. The the girls have like these black feathers that glisten green and purple in the light. It's crazy. But the boys... They are goofy looking. <laughs> They've got like brown spiky feathers on their heads that like they're all mismatched and, and off color and Raggy. and they're silly and funny. And they, make, at, they make funny sounds. The too. showgirl's incredible. It looks like uh, what's the bo- dog that looks like that? Pomeranian or yeah. what, a poodle? Toy poodle. Toy it looks like a poodle. The haircut's <laughs> like a poodle. So goofy. So <laughs> interesting. 
All right. Ghost of Recon says public banking. You mean you want your bank to be run by politicians and have authority codified in law? I want Dude, th- you literally want communism in banking. No, I want banking to be run by no one. I mean, maybe that's what cryptocurrency is, is, is public banking. I mean, all, the ledger is public, so maybe that's what that is. Perhaps. Glizzy Water says, trucker from last night. I just had one of those effing stink bugs scare the ish out of me in my truck. He was <laughs> hiding on the cap to my drink. Ah, oh, they're Look, the worst. They're they're annoying. Have you seen the stink bugs around here? Because they're in like the DC area everywhere. They're they call them shield bugs too because they look little shields. They're doofy and they're kind of funny. They yeah. just stink if you scare them. Mm. But I I we also have wasps out here. And so in the middle of the workday, you know, when it's hot, when it was hotter out, a wasp would somehow find its way in. Now that's a problem for me. And I, and then I'm fighting a wasp in my room. Like you've got to stop that thing with the stink bugs though. They're just, they're just really dumb. Mm -hmm. And you know, you don't mind them. You know, they they mind their own business. And one time I had a, I finished a segment because I, so I record my segments. If you guys watch them at uh, youtube.com slash Timcast news and Timcast, I finished recording because I recorded all live and then I saw a stink bug clapping. I don't know what it was oh, actually that's doing. Awesome. I don't know what it was actually doing, but it was just banging its little hands together. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, they're, they're doofy little things. And then I suck them up in the vacuum and throw them outside. <laughs> they dance. They communicate with movement. Insects do. do. Yeah. Was clapping for I've me. I've hung out with bugs outside and you'll get real close and just watch them and they'll dance back and forth and Why then do a jig and then so dance Ian. to the other side and do a jig. Ian. I was also on LSD that day, <laughs> <laughs> but it was dancing. It was dancing. Maybe you don't actually, maybe you sense. don't know what you actually saw. I've seen it on multiple occasions. I, that, that reminds me of that, like the, yeah, the in the vlog. Yeah. We had that segment where Ian was like, I was on a roof and there was a wolf spirit and it was like, I accidentally let it my soul. And I was high. I was <laughs> high that night. That, that explains that it. Yeah, that explains that was THC it, that night. That was crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Let's see what we got. Trash Panda says, part of the reason Japan attacked Pearl Harbor was because we froze their assets after they invaded China. Mess with the mess with the money and get clapped. Is that what happened? I did not hear that. Yeah, exactly. Well, how's that not more public knowledge? Whoa. Hmm. Is this true? Mr. Brightside says, Trump booed for saying he wouldn't investigate Hunter Biden. I don't want to hurt a family. There's a new variant of TDS causes blindness. Is that true? Did Trump really say that? I, I haven't seen no, it no. yet. But I, wouldn't be, su- I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Yeah. Yep. Samuel Pyle says, I live in North Carolina and I saw on the local news, the U.S. Army is doing training across two dozen counties to prepare to fight guerrilla freedom fighters. The military is not on the people's side. My friend, this is fake news. It's actually true they're doing this, but this is Operation Robin Sage, which has been going on since the 1970s. It is a standard training exercise for special forces uh, I think they have retired Green Berets do it. They've been doing it for 50 years. It, it's not a new thing. It's not new, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, 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 you know, the, the media panic. is definitely trying to, 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 uh, to hype that up. All right, let's see. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is a good one. Seth Covington says, please someone show me the video of the girl who was rubbing onions in her eyes. You remember that? I don't. On January 6th as a woman, it's the weirdest thing. I don't think it means, I'm, I'm not saying I know what it means, but she's like, cry, you, know, you see her rub an onion on her eye and then mm. someone records her and she's crying about something. This is a weird video. Bizarre. Strange, yeah. yeah, but you don't know what that means. You know what I mean? Like, it's certainly weird. I can confirm, uh, in 1941, when the Japanese invaded the Indochina, uh, the French colony of Indochina, the U.S. freezed their assets, cut off Japan from iron, petroleum, and tech. Yeah, yeah, and cut them off with, uh, energy. And I think that's why they, uh, well, they needed the oil yep. for their navy. Yep. All right. H Music says, in a Senate hearing this week, the FBI and DOJ were asked why Epps was the first person listed as main suspects on the FBI website 
and then removed, even though he hasn't been charged. Additionally, I think it was, was it Ted Cruz when he mm-hmm. said, were there any FBI yeah. agents or informants? Right. And they said, I can't answer that question. Right. No, that, I mean, that's true. That was first reported at Revolver that Ray Epps, it was, it's not like they can't, they can say we don't know who he is. He was considered to be one of the 20 most important people immediately after January 6th that they wanted to identify. The internet identified him within days and they did nothing until Revolver ran a report on his fellow Oath Keeper Stuart Rhodes and the next day they scrubbed him off their public database. And since the, this, all of this blew up about Epps, the only subsequent official comment from any FBI agent, as I mentioned, was the Phoenix FBI people who said they had no idea who he was. So it's, it's a very, it's, it's a strange, strange. situation for sure. All right. Dusty says, Tim, I live in Colorado. I was going to work the National Western Stock Show this weekend and chose not to because the state and national government is going to fine $5,000 per person for not wearing a mask inside. I do not Mm. comply. Well, I'll just tell you all this. Frederick County, which is right next to us, has a mask mandate. And um, in the in, in Frederick proper, we got hassled over masks. And it was the weirdest thing because like we didn't walk into a building and just start fighting with people. Like we walked into a restaurant. Nobody was wearing any masks except for like the staff members. And then they were like, put this on. And I was like, well, nobody's wearing any masks. And they were like, that's fine. They're eating. And I'm like, oh, we're here to eat. Like they t- they said, no. So we got in it. I was just like, dude, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to leave. Because they, they wanted me to put the mask on literally for five seconds and then take it off. That, that to me is nonsense. Yeah. But we went out to uh, uh, outside of Frederick proper, the city and in the county. No, no issues. None That's whatsoever. What I'm Nobody was wearing masks. Yeah. Nobody cared. The businesses didn't care. And these were big chain businesses. Yeah. Barnes that, and Noble. Big corporate stores. They're just like, we ain't doing it. And I was like, well, I guess for some reason in the downtown area where there's probably government enforcement, they're terrified. Mm. But in the outer, you know, rims of the county, people are like, get out of here, dude. Mm -hmm. The border with Virginia is five minutes and West Virginia is 10 minutes. And if people don't want, if you're told to to do something you don't want to do, they're going to, they're going to go find the same store on the side of the river in a different state. It's that easy. We went to a sushi place and they were like, the, the chair was five feet in front of us. And they said, put the mask on. And I was like, nobody in here is wearing any masks. Can we just sit down? And they said, okay, fine. But if you get up, you got to put the mask on. And they handed me a mask. I said, okay. And then some guy at the counter yelled, put the mask on. And I said, we're going to sit down. And they were like, no, put it on now. And I was like, are you serious? And they all yell, yes. And I'm like, I'm leaving. I bet they thought you were a fed that was about to find them if they let you walk in without your mask. Nobody was wearing masks, though. But they probably made them all wear one from the door to the table. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So, you know, we like a secret shopper. We drove drove only a few (laughs) minutes because it was a border county. We're only a few minutes from the edge of the county, and we got sushi, no problem. It was quite delicious at the other restaurant. It's insane to me that they were like, if you want to walk five feet, you better be doing it wearing a mask, because everybody knows what COVID floats in the sky and uh, at six feet, and it's it's the stupidest thing, man. Look, I understand if they're like, a private business wants you to wear a mask, but I'll tell you this. The government mandating vaccines or masks, in my opinion, is a violation of our right to peaceably assemble. The Supreme Court agrees with you, I believe. No, I don't think they've ruled on this yet, but there needs to be a lawsuit over this. So I don't know who files it or how. I do not live in an area with this. Perhaps I could sue over something like that. But I wonder what would happen if I got a group of 25 people that said, we're going to be organizing a Black Lives Matter protest in this public location that is open to all members of the public. And when they say, sorry, you have to leave, I'll say why. And when they say the government is requiring that we we check everyone for vaccination status, I say, aha, the government can't deny our right to peaceably assemble under 1A. And then we sue and say, the government doesn't have the right to bar your right, to take away your rights 
through pressuring private organizations. The Supreme Court's actually ruled that. So I'm wondering when someone's going to file a 1A argument of the, that, that our right to assemble has been shut down by the government, forcing people to kick you out. So look, it's, it's quite simple. If Burger King wants my business, but the, the employees there are like, I'm sorry, man, the government's making me do it. That's all I need here. And that's exactly what they've been saying. I called 20, 25 or so restaurants and they also, almost all of them said the same thing. I'm sorry. The government is making us do this. All right, then that is the government violating our first amendment rights to peaceably assemble. Somebody should sue them. All right. Dusty says, I plan on going and doing some journalism. Instead, let me know if you want my footage. Are you talking about in DC for that protest? Um, I don't know. I think we have to go through it. We're very, it's very strict with how we have to run things. People, uh, this is one thing a lot of people need to understand too. Um, when you're running a business, there's a lot of restrictions. I mean, I'm sure you deal with this stuff too. I've had people, they, they, they assume that if you have a company, you can just give someone money. So I was arguing with this leftist who was like, when are, you know, I, I challenge these leftists when they're like, when they criticize reporting or they try and act like areas are safe. Like Conan O'Brien went to Haiti and said it was right. beautiful and great. <laughs> so when I see that and I'm tweeting with somebody, I'll be like, I'll tell you what, you go and cover this story for me and I'll pick the location. How does that sound? And they say, yes. So I challenge this guy. So here's what we're going to do. Legitimately, I will cover your costs, everything, and even pay you to go and cover gang rivalries in Chicago. We actually, it would be great to see how, um, how COVID has affected these, these, these more dangerous areas of Chicago and we'll have you do it. And it's not even about, look, I think, I, I think this person won't be able to pull it off, but if they're brave enough, they're confident, they think it's safe, that's exactly the kind of person you want to go do the reporting. Right. They won't do it though. They always say no. But I had one guy who was like, nope, just give me the money so I can go travel wherever I want. And I try explaining to him, you can't legally, as a business, just give someone money for no reason. They don't seem to understand this. They think if you own the company, you can just write someone a check and hand it to them. I'm like, you, you can't. Like, you are opening yourself up for audit because People try and it's crazy to me that it's people on the left doing this as if they're the ones complaining about loopholes where family members will funnel money to family members. It's exactly why you can't do that. When we're hiring people, we're required to have like a breakdown of like what the person's job is and why we hired them. And we've gone through all of this stuff. Otherwise, you open yourself up to audit. I wonder if many of these young people on the left started a business, they, it would really change their perspective on, you know, who to, who to vote for, to be honest. All right. All right. Bernie. Katzroy says, Tim, what about John Sullivan, who was a BLM agitator and also was there at the Capitol leading those inside? He was put on house arrest and still free. Yeah, what happened to that guy? He was an well, Antifa guy, Well, he's right? an interesting case. Um, he's also featured in, in the Revolver article. He's He was a sensation part of the narrative early on, and a lot of people on the right like to point to him and say, oh, it was actually Antifa. That was before we basically changed the narrative to look at Fed versus Antifa. And I think in the case of Sullivan, that's also consistent with Fed versus Antifa. And, you know, I'm definitely not a fan of Antifa. I think in some larger sense, Antifa is a paramilitary force of the regime, but it's also a law-breaking organization and they also have concerns about Fed infiltration. And John Sullivan was actually, if you look at various Antifa blogs and so forth, the Antifa people basically banished him because of their concerns that he was actually a Fed. So I think the actual explanation is people are saying, oh, he's Antifa. No, he's not Antifa. He's probably, you know, something else. And Antifa itself had similar concerns. So yeah. there that's, you that's go. Fun. Yeah, he, he, yeah. he, he was... Uh, he, 
I guess when it came to Antifa, he would try and incite. Exactly. And they were like, get him out of here. Right. What is he doing? And his brother is like some, you know, right wing equivalent. It's a very really? bizarre family that is connected to intelligence and so forth. You know, uh, just to go completely off the rails insane, I was thinking how funny it was that I saw this image of, um, what is it, a puffin? There's, a, there's, there, there's little birds and there's uh, a fake bird. That in Iceland, oh, yeah, puffins. yeah they, they put a fake one up mm-hmm. and then the puffins come and land thinking it's a real bird. And so they're not lonely and they'll hang out with the decoy or whatever. Then there's also decoy ducks where it attracts the duck. They see this. They don't realize it's not a real duck. I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if aliens put decoy people here to like yeah, coax us into doing people. things <laughs> and we can't tell the difference because it's the technology beyond us. Mm. And so you end up with these really weird people you can't understand that kind of just appear and do weird things. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying it's off the rails. <laughs> but it's fun to think about, For huh? sure. Omega says, Tim, you owe me an apology. You said I was wrong about the left and right, and now you are using the same point I brought up over a week ago. Yes, I owe you an apology. I think I remember your comment, and um, perhaps you are correct, and I just did not realize. The the classical left and right was anti-establishment and you know pro-establishment, and the modern left today is has been pro-establishment for the entire Trump administration. Trump was the bull in the China shop. And I was like, all right, fine, whatever, I'll take it. I didn't vote for him in 2016. And as I've stated the other day, Trump is now a bull on fire trying to break <laughs> back in. <laughs> Just going crazy and enraged. <laughs> and uh, um, that is not the establishment. There so was when Obama absolutely- got into power. It seemed like they had all the warmongers that had coaxed Bush over there were like, yeah, let's keep it going. So they don't care what side and, of the aisle. They're like, everyone, let's move. Obama walked in and he's like, now that I'm uh, president, uh I'm going to change things. And then they were like, no, actually, you're going to blow up kids. And he went, okay. <laughs> and then he did. I think well, it was like, it was a, a few, changed. a few days after he got, in, he got uh, his first inauguration. He authorized a drone strike, killing a bunch of women and children. That was the day he became president. That's right. It's like what they said about <laughs> Trump. It's like he strikes Syria. Now all of a sudden, all the bad coverage suspends for, yeah. you know, a second. They say, now he's president. They oh, give Nobel man. Peace Prizes yeah. to people like that too. You, you bow to Raytheon. That's when you're president. You twer- love, twerk for Raytheon. I love how they gave Obama a peace prize for not doing yep. anything. Like yeah. just like, what is this? Yeah. Man, the, the the mask came off. The emperor has no clothes. All that stuff. The yep. past few years have really shown the establishment, the regime, the cathedral, whatever, to just be a barren wasteland. They have nothing to offer. Yeah, and and let's be honest. Obama was talking a good game. He was talking about ending the wars, ending the surveillance state, holding people accountable. Uh, you know, making sure we protect civil rights and people's personal liberties. And then he did the complete opposite of that. Riley says, today my boss said we have to wear masks again. I said I will not wear one in front of everyone. He said he's just relaying the message. I guess I'm fine. Yeah, I love that. A lot of people have pointed out that their companies come to them and say, okay, mask mandates are back. And they go, no. And the boss goes, all right, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, we tired. tried. If they won't comply, we can't shut down. Sick of it. I mean, look how crazy it's getting that it wasn't in California. They're having COVID sick nurses. And working. Seattle. And right. Seattle. Yeah. Right. Come they fired on, man. people over it. Well, because they don't right. want to shut down. Yeah, they can't. It's it's the, what Mike Rowe said, that the bombs were dropping on London, and eventually people just came out of their basements like, well, what are we supposed to do? And they just lived with it. Mm-hmm. All right. What does that say? Jolin says, I plan to ask Tim to host Darren Beatty ASAP. After work, I turned on TimCast IRL, and Lord have mercy, it's oh. Darren Beatty. There you go. <laughs> Tim, would you mind asking Darren about the late Bill Cooper and why he was assassinated? Who was Bill Cooper, and was he assassinated? 
Behold I, the Pale Horse? I don't know. Oh, you, right Did you guys ever hear about Be, Behold the Pale Horse? I've heard of that. What is that? Well, it's a famous conspiracy book. Uh, William Cooper was Navy intelligence, and he had some very interesting theories. Um, his book was very fascinating to read personally. Um, I read it before. Um, and, um, yeah, there's a lot of crazy information surrounding uh, Bill Cooper. Interesting. Was he going hard on 9-11? Because he died two months after that. Yes. Really? Yeah, yes. he died November '01. Well, there's people saying that he predicted uh, 9/11, but again, there's a lot of different theories out there. Hmm. Raymond G. Stanley Jr. says, "Darren with a mic drop on NewsGuard." Yeah, pointing mm-hmm. out the Economist doesn't have bylines yeah. was a real was a real smack. Catch. Yeah. yeah, I've I've actually emailed NewsGuard numerous times, just like because there's certain points where I'm like, I'll use them because like I said, it's like a shield. It's like, hey man, don't get mad at me. I'm using NewsGuard certified sources. Even the Guardian backed up Joe Rogan's claim on myocarditis and I think that's, you know, that that's, you know, how you can get through those the manipulation. But there have been so many stories like uh one very important one was that the that BuzzFeed wrote a fake story claiming two black men uh, got into a fight over the death for a fried chicken sandwich. They claim it was when the Popeye's chicken sandwich thing happened. And BuzzFeed wrote an article saying that a man shot another man over a fried chicken sandwich. And I and I reached out to the editor-in-chief at the time, and I said, not only is this story overtly false, don't you think it's a little racist to make up something like this? And he was like, well, I don't know. Seems fine to me. And I was like, wow. What the heck? So I emailed NewsGuard, and I'm like, how is it that Project Veritas puts out a video, and you say it's fake news, and BuzzFeed literally writes verifiably fake news you can fact check, and you guys don't care? And they, they give me no response. Mm-hmm. The story actually was a guy was at Popeye's and someone cut in line. Huh. An altercation broke out when he walked outside. I guess the other guy stabbed him and ran. They weren't fighting over a chicken sandwich. It was just an argument that escalated. And so the dude, uh, like the cousin of the guy who died, came out and put up a, put a video online saying, stop pushing these lies, man. My, my, my family was not fighting for fried chicken. What the, what the hell, man? We weren't fighting for fried chicken. We were fighting for something much more important, which no, was someone the, cut in line. I bet but Popeye's dude, paid well, no, no, for no, no, that the story. Dude, the dude who, uh, uh, who died wasn't even the one who started the fight, apparently. Jeez. Huh. Like the, uh, like he, so, some guy cut him in line. He said, yo, man, you can't cut me in line. So the other guy just stabs him. It's like, just yeah. and, and no so job. I'm like, how, how brutal. To be a regular dude, just trying to go to a, 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 a Popeyes. I mean, they got shrimp there too, and then to be besmirched by all these news outlets because they wanted a racist story. And then these people at BuzzFeed have the ner- nerve to call us and other people racist or alt right, whatever. I can't stand these scumbag, you know, left elites who think they're better than everyone, and they say they're the anti-racists and they do stuff like that. And I and the editor in chief doesn't do anything about it. When you said that they backed up Rogan's claim on the myocarditis, is that YouTube friendly talking content? You want to? I mean, I did a really whole video quick? on it. Oh, today you did. The Guardian published a story that said a stu- study suggests myocarditis risk from vaccines is greater than that of COVID. Joe Rogan referenced that on his podcast. Josh Zepp said he was wrong. They pulled up a source that didn't confirm what Joe said, and Joe didn't have an answer for it. Okay. And I'll say this to Joe. I got a keyboard right here in front of me. So not only does Ian have his own computer and Luke, but I actually can pull up information that I'm familiar with. See, Joe doesn't have that. He has Jamie. Right. So often what will happen is Joe will be like, hey, pull up that source. And then Jamie might pull up whatever the first source he finds. And it's not necessarily the one that Joe was talking about. So Joe went out, came out later on Twitter and posted the Guardian article and a subsequent uh, uh, a study from Oxford backing up his, his claim. And I said, this is the problem with alternative facts. Joe is not wrong when he says this thing has happened because the Guardian reported it. 
Josh was not wrong when he said, actually, this is true because he had a source he read as well. This is the problem with the ever-changing landscape of news media, that people will read something in the news. No, like I read this. I read this from a credible source. And you can read the exact opposite thing a day later. So then people just fight with each other. And I don't know how you solve for that problem, to be honest. Maybe maybe we all just have no choice but to uh, keep communicating. Ask, ask Bill Gates what the answers are and just believe him to whatever he <laughs> and says. And Michael Hayden. And Michael, Michael Hayden. Hayden has veto power. Particularly Absolutely. Michael Hayden. James look, Clapper, too, would be a right. George Soros, he yep. knows everything. George Soros. I'm not going to look at this guy. Michael, just tell me what color it is. <laughs> it's green. All right, confirmed. All right, where are we at? Let's uh, let's see. We got some super chats. We'll move down. Boop, boop. We'll see what we can get. Lone Wolf says, question, if I can smell a fart through the mask, does that mean the mask is working? I tried three, still smelled it. <laughs> Sounds like I it's working. Know. But, um, Those are Socrates-like uh, questions. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say. tell no you. No fart drop. Hold on. <laughs> if you are wearing even a thin piece of cloth on your butt and you get the Hershey squirts, it will stop a whole lot of it. Okay. The droplets. That, yeah. Of the droplets. droplets. That's the droplets, right. Okay. The Hershey. <laughs> the droplets. Mud butt. The droplets. <laughs> Mud butt. There was a really funny story. We're going to get gross, but there's a really funny story that's like a classic Reddit post where a guy was like talking about how he was running down the hall in the middle of the night after eating Taco Bell or something. You get the point of the story. But it was like one of the all-time posts on Reddit. Uh, how does, how to does it go? You, you know, no. Do you want to share it? No, but I think you understand <laughs> where the story's going. Yeah. Like I ate too much Taco Bell, woke up in the middle of the night, and long oh, story boy. short, the underwear actually ripped. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's Whoa. what I was looking for. Welcome to the grossest part of the show. Hey, awesome. it's Friday night. We're yeah. having a good time, huh, everybody? After hours. Holy crap. That's the first I've ever heard of that ever happening to Incredible. someone. Oh my God. I'm impressed. Sir John says, I would love to hear a round table with the who's who to brainstorm how an entity would keep free speech and not draw excessive lawsuits over all the things people will be offended about. You can't, well, you can sue a ham sandwich. Doesn't mean you're going to win. Um, Section 230 protects them. Twitter isn't, is absolutely able to keep people on the platform. They just don't want to because they're hypocrites and they're, well, look, man, this is the problem with the right. Conservatives and libertarians did not get jobs at these companies and thus they were taken over by leftists who do leftist things. I did do a segment, did do, uh, on my, on my Timcast news channel talking about how low testosterone is likely the cause of all of our problems. And it's that there was a study that came out from the New York Times talking about how women favor banning hate speech and men uh, favor mm-hmm. free speech. I think this is in line with the fact that men are more likely to take risks. Women are more likely to be risk averse. That being said, with the decline in testosterone and men becoming more feminine and less masculine, we're getting an imbalance where there's too much of a toxic feminine presence in government and not enough of a strong masculine presence balancing out I, I personally feel like you need a matriarch and a patriarch. You need a good female, like, assessment of the risks and and to pull back and tell the guy, like, that's crazy. Don't do that. But then you also need a guy who's going to be like, no, I'm going to jump off this cliff with a parachute. We're going to make it happen. That is not to say that all women hate risk and all men like risk. It's just generalities. But when you get an overwhelmingly feminist system because men are becoming weaker and weaker with low testosterone, then it stands to reason you're going to get banning of hate speech. You're going to get authoritarianism. You're going to get all of these things. I think Jordan Peterson talks about this too. Mm-hmm. Motherly like the longhouse. The longhouse. Long what is that? Basically, just uh, the matriarchy of the matriarchal societies that had these longhouses where the women would basically just dictate all conversation and every everything's mediated through the social reality. And yep. it's not its truth value, not its connection with first order reality. It's 
the social reality determines everything and social harmony determines everything and therefore conformity and consensus uh, are dispositive. That's interesting. Hunter gatherers where the men would go hunt, it was not about what they thought reality was. It was the bull is charging, right. run. And the women would be at home talking about the men and how they want things to be. And then, so you Raising think that aspect taken over our society as we're more talking right. about it rather than dealing with what's really right. happening. Well, there, yeah. there, there's an interesting thing they mentioned is that um, more masculine societies tend to be more warlike. There's a pacifying effect to having more women involved in government, but there's an imbalance. When you have the right amount of men and women, you get less war and and, and uh, more stability, but still a balance of people's freedoms and rights. But when it becomes more feminine, this actually occur, occurs in a lot of revolutions that turn, tend towards, towards the left. You end up with internal conflict authoritarianism, which just makes the quality of life go down. Like China, like with China. their one-child policy that has overwhelmingly too many males. So interestingly, I was reading about the Bolshevik Revolution. Women were kept out because they were considered to be very conservative because they did not want to be a part of the revolution. They said, we want to be safe. There's no point in striking or protesting. It's too risky for our families. And it wasn't until the food stores were getting depleted that women actually came out and protested, similarly with the French mm-hmm. Revolution. So you, you, you see there's an internal conflict when you know there's an imbalance. But to be fair, a lack of food causes imbalance. I don't think it's necessarily sure. anything to do with men or women. I just think right now what's happening is a, we, we've, we've known this for decades. Testosterone is going down. Men are like masculinity is on the decline. It's also being demonized. And then mm-hmm. we're getting the rise of authoritarianism. And I think that makes sense. We need a good, right. healthy. And it is a feminine type of authoritarianism. It's right. And I think it, we have it, to be gets, safe. it gets to the point that we're talking about the distinction between first order reality and reality as perceived through the social system. We're talking about the function of media. And we are in a basically a media-run state in, in, in certain ways. The media creating that reality is fundamentally a kind of um, uh, feminine mechanism that everything's you know, filtered through this kind of manipulative social control rather than uh, just kind of interacting directly with reality and seeing what reality reports back. All right. Stachowski says, Tim, it's funny you talked about CIA taking over watching big companies. Some people would say you follow under that guideline. Who's your CIA agent? Ha, very funny, guys. There is no CIA agent. Um, but let me tell you something for real. Let's be real. We're no longer in the era where there needs to be a handler for the manipula- manipulation of media. If YouTube cho- decides that we do the right kind of media, they'll prop us up. Mm. What you need to understand about how media manipulation works and has probably always worked. These companies in New York don't take a journalist and then say, we want you to report propaganda from the left. They find people who are overtly leftist activists and then say, want to be a journalist? Bring them in and say, write whatever you want. That's what they do. Impact investment. So if you think this show is, you know, like we're CIA agents, haha, it could actually just be that we do the kind of show that they want us to do. Mm. And so that's why we're not getting banned. That's why we're on YouTube. That's why we're getting views because they've just decided behind the scenes. We don't need to have contact with them. I pointed this out before too. Can't remember who we had on the show. And I was just like, I don't know what's going on, but they certainly tolerate what I do because we're making a lot of money. We're growing and expanding. So I don't know what it is. The goal of Google and the establishment is maybe they're not as powerful as we think Mm. or they like what we are doing for some reason. I looked on Twitter and I saw you're trending under entertainment. 
I know. Not under politics. Yep. And it's been, and I've been trending for that's good on and off for like two months yeah, nonstop. To me, that's a win from joining Timcast. The Timcast organization. Oh, sorry, my my audio is going cutting in and out. To see us trending as an enter, or to see you trending as an entertainment icon instead of a politics icon is key. Because the CIA, they go after the politics people if they're going to go after well, anybody. The, the entertainers are here to put to calm people down. What I was told um, by some people who work at Google is that there's a lot of people who are actually fans of the show who mm, work there, interesting. and so they actually play some kind of. Um, speed bump to the overt far left attempts at coming at the show. I think the same with the CIA too. I bet there's a lot of people there that are super cool and like, this is crazy. This world, we need a better system. But it, but it only is only defensible insofar as you're not overtly publicly demonized. So there's probably a lot of people at YouTube who are fans of Crowder, but it's becoming increasingly hard for them to speak up in his defense because the media attacks and attacks and attacks. Same thing with Alex Jones. So it's only a matter of time for us, in my opinion, especially in 2022 with an election year. But anyway, it's Friday night, my friends. We've got a lot of work to do and a lot of fun to be had. I'm going to go crack some champagne and celebrate the decline of CNN's ratings. Mm-hmm. So make sure you subscribe to this channel. Smash that like button. Follow us on Instagram at TimCastIRL. You can follow me at TimCast. Darren, you want to shout anything out? Yeah. Follow me at Revolver.News to see all this reporting. Read it and share it with people to challenge them. What do you think about January 6th? And follow me on Twitter at DarrenJBeatty, D-A-R-R-E-N-J-B-E-A-T-T-I-E. Darren, thank you so much for coming. Uh, shouts out to everyone in the comment section that's calling me Bluke. Yes. Apparently there was a white balance issue Uh with my camera. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, no, I did not take the jab. Anyway, uh, if you're bored this weekend, check out LukeUncensored.com. We have three master classes on survival, journalism, travel hacking, all available to you. Uh, I think we have over hundreds of videos all available to you, LukeUncensored.com. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, today was really fun. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Thank you so much for coming. And check out my website, iancrossland.net. It'll portal you over to my social media accounts. And I will see you next time. I'm really enjoying Bluke myself. And I do think that cracking a bottle of Trump champagne is probably the single best possible way to celebrate CNN going down the tubes. And you guys my, you guys may follow me on Twitter at Sarah Patchlitz. I just want to point this out, too. We When we were over over the holidays, I was hanging out with friends and family. We actually had Trump wine and Trump champagne, mm-hmm. and we thought it was funny. And so we bring the Trump wine to a family gathering, and everyone has a laugh. They're like, I eat Trump wine. And it was – they loved it. They, they The whole bottle was gone in a few minutes. <laughs> so then we cracked open Trump champagne. You know, When we came back, we brought some with us. It was delicious. I'm not a big drinker. And then we got another bottle of champagne. Didn't like it. I was like, wow. Like I actually like the Trump champagne. I hear mm-hmm. good things. But I'll leave it there. With that being said, that free that free shout out for Trump champagne. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out, everybody. Friday night. Hope you enjoy the weekend. We will see you all. We're going to be putting up on Sunday the Sunday uncensored yeah. episode, so you can listen to those on iTunes and Spotify. But don't forget, we got a massive library of uncensored content at TimCast.com. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you all next time. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.